Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, May the 12th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Anything you care to share with us this morning? Uh, No. The Braves win. They did. In the ninth inning. This sports section segment brought to you by Bird of a Thousand Gods. Um, <laughs> is Burt Current on his paying for this segment that he sponsors? <laughs> I, I will have to check with the business okay, office. Let's check with the sure. business office yeah. and make sure we're current on. Not, not sure. Um, but did on, they, I did see they won. giving Bert a shout out every morning. <laughs> but I, I didn't see that it was in the ninth inning because I didn't stay up late enough to watch the end of the game. I checked this morning when okay. I woke up. Uh, they got down two to nothing in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they, that's kind of been the trend this season get down early and then fight back. Uh, there are a couple of games under 500. Uh, so, yeah, they're about where they were. They had them. Exactly where they want them. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. well, it worked out okay last year. <laughs> it worked out real good last year. But the Mets may be a good bit better um, this year. 843-661-0937 is our number. So we talked yesterday a little bit about the um, the baby formula shortage. And uh, I mean, there, there are multiple reasons we're having a baby formula shortage. You had a, um, a disruption of production and distribution during covid uh, we've got a pharmaceutical, excuse me, a um, a baby formula manufacturing plant that was shut down as a result of some. Uh, well, we found out after the fact the FDA should not have shut the plant down. Is it a McKesson plant? No, it's not McKesson. Um, Abbott. Abbott Abbott plant. Uh, they shut down. FDA found some um, some some oddities within. Um, shut the plant down, and now they've come back and revisited, saying probably should not have shut the plant down uh, when we did. So the FDA further complicating uh, the majority. I don't care to hear the word FDA, CDC. Uh, the only abbreviations I want to hear or acronyms is NCAA, <laughs> you know, um, CFA, uh, NFL. MLB. Yeah, MLB, <laughs> SEC, ACC. I'm tired of um, the NHI. And the the CDC and the FDA, uh, do they have our best interest at heart or not? Here's something else I want to give you a fair warning about. I mean, I was the bearer of bad news yesterday when I talked about, and I'll say this, guys, um, I don't have a degree from anywhere. I mean, I say that about every day, so it must bother me in some weird sort of (laughs) demented way. I mean, I don't have a degree from anywhere, but I plundered around in the real world for 50, going on 59 years, and I've learned a lot. And, and I've learned a lot. My my life you learned has how been. To bum me out well, I mean, my, my life has been politics and business, and you know, GI Joe with the Kung Fu grip. And I just sense that we're heading to a, a not such good place. I mean, I, I just sense that. I sensed it in 2007, um, and I did it as a result of my business. Um, I remember telling my brother in 2007 something that smell right. What do you mean something that smell right? I said, Hey, my brother's name is Sammy. I said, Sammy. Our dad worked his ass off in this business forever, and he never grew it 18, 20% year to year. And in 04, and 05, 06, 07, we grew the business by in the neighborhood of 20%. We're not that much better businessmen than our dad. In fact, we're not as good. And we saw what happened, you know, the, um, the craziness of subprime lending and building homes and uh, people couldn't afford those homes. And I mean, the world blew up. I mean, we can go down the road of um, derivatives and synthetic derivatives and multi-layered mortgaging and bundling of mortgages and Wall Street's involvement and in all of this. And yeah, I mean, the, the movie, The Great Short does a, uh, you know, a service the big to the public on um, the big short, uh, Probably should have been the great short because it was a pretty great move that um, Dr. Michael Burry made. But um, but I, I feel similar to that now. We're just in a lot, a lot of land. Mm. 
Um, the fair leaves town at some point in time, and when the fair leaves town, the kids begin to cry. I mean, that's just a practical way of looking at what we've lived through. Uh, we had a conversation yesterday about some of these um, macroeconomic stimulus always leads to inflationary pressures that always leads to a devaluing of the, the dollar you have in your pocket. I mean, that's just the reality. That's the start. I mean, that's the consistent in all of this. And, and why we think that doesn't apply now is beyond me. Well, I can tell you why we don't, because we don't have any choice. We don't have any option. We've married ourselves. It's a little bit like I said yesterday with Ozark. Once the birds decided to launder money and clean money is their terminology for a drug cartel, there is no turning back. You don't say, hey, can you stop and let me off this ride now? I mean, I realize what I've done is so egregious that it's complicated my life and put my family's um, health in danger. And um, my, my kids, I don't know if they'll be... Uh, you know, you can't undo that. You've done it. And I just think once we made a decision in 2000, uh, probably 2009 is when we began down this road uh, of allowing the Fed to dictate such an enormous uh, influence on the realities of the economy, we, we just made a deal with the devil. And I don't know. I mean, for 14 years, we've kind of trucked along at 0% interest or somewhere near 0% interest. We've allowed the Fed to distort you know, the realities of the economy by refusing to accept that uh, recessions are a normal part of economic cycling. And, and here we are. And, and I'm more concerned this time than before because of the Fed's balance sheet. Uh, remember when the world blew up, uh, interest rates were, what, 5 or 6%? And there was a chance to kind of drop interest rates and, um, and you know, buy bonds and buy debt and uh, – quantitative ease and, and they all had these some tools i think they're the i think they're borderline socialist tools but they were available to the fed and i just don't see what the fed can do here uh, i'll tell you this talking about baby formula shortage i think by the first of june uh maybe sooner than that we're going to have a diesel fuel shortage what yeah i mean i'm sure of that I mean, I've read some of the, about mm. 60% of all the diesel fuel um, is transacted at the New York Harbor. You're just full of good news. Well, I mean, they've never had this um, this low of reserve in diesel fuel supplies. We're normally at about 40 or 50 million barrels um, in, in reserve. We're at about 18 million barrels today. Um, and that number seems to me to be declining. In fact, I talked to someone yesterday. Uh, I owned a convenience store at a point in time, and a, and a guy that, basically provides fuel to about a hundred, maybe a couple of hundred convenience stores told me that he thinks by next week, they're going to start rationing his supplies. Um, in other words, if I own a convenience store and I need 20,000 gallons of diesel, I call and say, Hey, can I get my typical shipment of 20,000 gallons of diesel? And he's going to say, I can't give you but 10. I mean, my supplies have been restricted and I think we're heading there sooner than later. Imagine the farmers, imagine the truckers, I mean, we got moms and dads worried about baby formula, and you should. I mean, I don't have an infant. I don't have a small kid, so I'm not as concerned as you are. I'm concerned for you. I mean, I really and truly am. When I think of, I thought of Jim last night, you know, the, the concern he has. I mean, I can't imagine plundering through Amazon, you know, or Walmart.com, because I think Tanya J. Power said that she believes the best way to find the baby formula is online. You know, the shipment hits the ground at walmart.com or Amazon, you know, and, and you're able to secure your, um, your share, your, your supply. But um, so, so I, you know, am I concerned for the people having to deal with baby formula shortage? Of course I am. I mean, absolutely I am. But personally, it doesn't affect me.
Um, what if, what if you're a farmer and you need, you know, a thousand gallons of diesel fuel to get you through whatever period of time a thousand gallons gets you through and your supplier says, I can only give you 500 gallons and the trucker, you know, goes to the convenience store to fill his, um, truck up to hit the road on Sunday night. And, um, and the diesel, you know, the place he normally goes, doesn't have any diesel fuel or has half the supply and they sold out yesterday. I really believe that's where we're headed with diesel fuel. I think we're going to have a pretty significant diesel fuel shortage on our hand um, no later than June. Could come a little bit earlier than that. And it kind of was a red light or a, a red alert to me yesterday when my friend said, you know, I'm having trouble securing diesel for my clients, for my customers. Now, his customer is not the trucker nor the farmer. His customer is the convenience store. You know, he's got, a, like I said, a probably it's better than 100, less than 200 that he brokers for, that, that he supplies to. Because um, I asked him, I said, what about gasoline? Not having a problem. I mean, it's expensive. It's real damn expensive, but I'm not having a problem getting it. But I'm beginning to sense, and this guy's cagey. I mean, he's a veteran at this. He said, I just feel like we're we're headed toward a place of a, a real, real serious um, issue with diesel fuel supply. And that's just going to add further to the pain, um, not just at the pump, but in the realities and inner workings oh, yeah. of the economy. If so every product that gets shipped gets shipped via fuel, right? And, and when you really look at all of this, and, and I think I've tried to illustrate this. I, I, th- I think of comparisons, you know, and uh, analogies and, and uh, you know, it's the flight simulator. I mean, it, it really and truly is. We have a cadre of influential bureaucrats and administrators within our government and politicians, for that matter, that, that have never lived in anything other than a simulator. That there's an academic and intellectual setting. They have these debates and there's a whiteboard. And they, they talk about the economy. They study the economy. They try to better understand the economy. But very few of them have ever participated in the realities of a market-driven economy. And, and when you say we're going to shut down, you know, half America's production, half the globe's production, we're going to shut down half the country's or the world's distribution networks. And, and we don't believe that at some point in time there's going to be fallout. I mean, it's bizarre to me how we believed we could do what we did. And I stand by the the words I spoke yesterday. I believe that America, I can't speak for Finland or Sweden. Uh, Sweden was kind of the outlier. I can't speak for some of these other countries, European or Scandinavian or or Eastern European. I, I don't know what the Asian countries, I mean, they did what they did, but I don't live there. I mean, I read about it and I pay attention from afar. But But I know that here in America, what we did was an epic failure. There is no question in my mind, and and I go back to um, who's in charge, what mistakes were made. Um, I think there were a myriad of mistakes. I think there were, mo- I and mean, you would expect there to be multiple mistakes when you're responding to a pandemic. But we let people who have no understanding whatsoever of the economy and what it takes to keep the economy, you know, moving along, give advice on what we need to do and not do, and we basically shut it down. I mean, we just, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in a bar in Pamplico. We just shut the damn thing down. And, and the bizarre nature of that reality and how we expected not to be here. I mean, we got a baby formula shortage. You got a, a potential diesel. I'm predicting that this morning. I mean, I think you're going to hear more and more and more about this. In fact, um, Gas Buddy had a tweet yesterday where he said, I'm noticing a serious decline in the inventory numbers at the New York Harbor in diesel fuel. Well, that's a dog whistle. 
I mean, that's saying, hey, guys, we're about to have a serious diesel fuel shortage. And I mean, when you say, well, my car doesn't burn diesel. No biggie to me. I've got a Tesla. You know, I've got a, um, I mean, I've got a, a pickup truck that burns gasoline. But imagine how much food production depends on diesel. How much um, of the logistics in America depend and on getting diesel. the food to the grocery sure. store. Sure. Right? I mean, it, it's going to be, and, and, and we let, so we got Fauci and we got Burke and we got, you know, some of these bureaucrats and uh, administrators within the, the government, the public sector. And we all get in a big room and we devise and design a plan for how to deal with COVID. And the absurdity of what we did, and I, I'm not, this isn't, I mean, I'm not second guessing. I said this on the front end, that there will be a day we have regret for what we did. Um, did we save lives? I have no idea. I mean, I, I said it, I'll say it again. I think there are two kinds of people in the world, those that have had COVID and those that are going to get COVID. Um, the vaccine is not a vaccine. It's simply a, um, uh, a therapeutic agent. That makes it less likely for you to have severe complications with COVID. But all of this has been kind of swept under the rug. I mean, I know two people right now in my world that have had every shot you can have, and they think they've got COVID. I mean, they've had shots. They've had boosters. Now, I don't know if they've got COVID. They've got cold-like symptoms. So the cold is no longer existent. We don't have colds anymore. There is no such thing. Listen to me. There is no such thing as a cold. Every, every ailment you have today is COVID-affiliated or COVID-associated. Um, I don't know anybody that's had a cold in two years. I don't know anybody that had the flu in two years. I don't know anybody that's had pneumonia in two years. It's COVID, 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 and we were gullible enough, not most of you, but the masses in general were gull enough, gullible enough to kind of follow and, and buy into that. And, I mean, the stupidity of this country rages on. But I'll just say that I'm not accusing our listeners of being stupid because you made a, a, a kind of a conscious effort to be more informed. But the stupidity of this country has led us to what I would call the abyss. And here we go. And I think we're in for two or three years of absolute hardship, economic, political. And, and we better wake up to that stark reality. Mm. Let's go to the phone. Dale in Florence. There's some good news for you, Dale. Good morning. <laughs> morning gentlemen and can you call it an epic failure my problem is i believe the democrats are seeing this as an epic success this is exactly what they want um they're they're they're, they're crying in the back rooms of the democrat society because gas ain't hit five dollars in florence south carolina yet we're headed that way but they want it all over the country and i think there's a lot of rejoicing in the democrats camp they're a little worried about midterms but this is exactly the result they were going for. I mean, this this is Obama's best dream in the world to seeing gas and diesel shortages and all that kind of stuff. You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. I mean, th th there's no moral limit to achieve their political goal. I mean, Dale's touching on something. Um, but, but yeah, and we always have this debate. And we have somewhat of a disagreement here. A lot of you believe all of this is intentional. And I don't disagree that some of it is. I mean, if you're, if you're pushing a green energy agenda and, and you know, diesels uh, in short supply and gasoline, then you could argue, well, that's not a dependable energy source. And wasn't there news from overnight that the administration canceled some additional leases in, in Alaska. Alaska and yeah. the Gulf of Mexico? Yeah, sure. The five-year lease ran out and they didn't renew. Seems like a good time to do that. Well, I mean, so I understand what Dale's saying. It's intentional. But guys, trust me, a lot of this is incompetence. 
I mean, a lot of this is Furch, uh, Fauci and Burke and, you know, these these administrators and bureaucrats who have no understanding whatsoever. Now, now is there a desired outcome, you know, for all of us to be weaned off fossil fuel? Yeah. And there is, and yeah, there's some strategy employed as we go through this process, but somebody's got to stop this nonsense. I mean, and I mean this, that, you know, we, we talked about, I mean, we're talking about abortion. We're talking about Ukraine. Um, I think Tucker nailed it yesterday. I mean, last night I watched Tucker for about 30 or 40 minutes last night when he went down the road of McConnell basically uh, speaking for the American people by saying, you know, we all know that the issue in Ukraine is of most importance. I mean, that's the most important thing on everybody's mind. I don't know anybody in my world thinking about Ukraine. I mean, when gas is five bucks, four bucks a gallon, diesel six bucks a gallon, you got a baby fuel shortage, you go to the grocery store, what used to cost you 30 bucks cost you 70 bucks. Um, I mean, it's just, we live in a weird, weird, weird place right now. And I don't know anybody that makes as a priority what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. I think everybody knows about it or aware of it. Don't trust the people we've got, you know, kind of driving the train. But I don't know anybody that wakes up every morning saying, wonder what the conditions are in Ukraine and Russia. Everybody I know is deeply concerned about the economy. The people that understand the economy the best in my world are the most concerned. I mean, that's probably the most alarming thing to me. The people that I've uh, kind of interacted with over the years about economic affairs and economic activity and the economy in general, they're the ones that seem to be um, most bothered by where we are and where it appears we're headed. Let's go to the phone. Barry in Sherall. Hey, Barry. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Great news today. Uh, Ken, appreciate that. 630 in the morning. Um, hey, Ken, did you see where uh, crypto uh, went went south? Yeah. And uh, you want to guess who took it south? You want to take a guess? I'm listening. BlackRock. Citadel. Well, but, they, but if you think about it, Barry, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Okay. Um, by it going down, by crypto going down in tandem with asset classes, it, it convinces me that it's now viewed by Wall Street as an asset class. You know, okay. it, it's always been kind of a funky investment. Nobody really understood it. But but it but it's its decline has been correlating with other asset classes. In other words, transportation is an asset okay. class. Energy is an asset class. I'm not saying it's a good thing Bitcoin's 30 grand. I mean, I'm not arguing that or crypto's taking it on the chin. But it does, if, if you want to be optimistic about the long term of crypto, I think that's something to be positive about, that it did decline in value and its correlation was consistent with other asset classes because Buffett, Munger, and a, and a lot of these guys don't consider crypto to be an asset class. Am okay. I making Correct. sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I'll take that. All right, so so we're going to go – I'm going to go back to my conspiracy side of, of – so we, we're over 40 distribution centers closing or catching fire, Right. All right, so now we're going to go into a diesel crisis while farmers, it'll be coming, you know, June, July, August, they'll start picking for corn. Corn's going to be 15 to $20 a bushel probably. Probably 20 Right, 20 Uh So there goes that. The wheat, uh, most of the wheat in the world is uh, Belarus with the same thing with uh, fertilizer, Belarus. Ukraine, you get what I'm saying? I do. It's just, it, it's just hard for me to believe that all this is just happening by coincidence. No, I and, don't and think so, it's happening by coincidence, Barry. There are those who prey upon others' incompetence. Yep. 
Absolutely. Is that a better way to say it? There are very strategic and smart people who like BlackRock. Blackrock. And Goldman Sachs, who play upon everybody else's. And they'll let Fauci be as incompetent as he chooses to be. They'll okay. let the government choose to be as incompetent as they choose to be, and they'll seize the moment. So I, I need you to bring this up. Is anybody planning at the school districts when the when the bus, I mean, when the diesels, you know, they all run off diesels, what, the, what they're going to do? Are they going to wait until August to come up with a plan? Uh, Four-day work, four-day weeks, three-day weeks? Uh think you could ask somebody for that you know they might want to plan for that thank you barry well I mean, that, that's kind of an interesting appreciate the call i, I want to say this i just googled i'm mean, not this first time i've done it. i just googled um diesel fuel shortage and here's what came up uh an article says you know diesel fuel is at an all-time high why a shortage could potentially be next um it's the only article i see but uh some tweet wall street silver at wall street s-i-l-v we are looking at a nightmare in terms of global diesel shortage that will shock people starting in June. That's consistent with what my friend says. Diesel inventory on the East Coast is 18 million, about three days demand as of today. We will run to down. We will run down to sub 10 million. This is way below historic inventory levels. And then it's got a graph and a chart. It does show. Um, I mean, historically, it's kind of ebbed and flowed between uh, 60 and 40 million barrels. It's now at about 18 million barrels. And this graph and this opinion says we'll be south of 10 million barrels. And that is historic. I mean, you know, uh, and once again, a lot of this tracking data comes from the, uh, the New York Harbor, which, I don't know, logistically handles the majority of diesel fuel shipments in America. Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You know, diesel is the fuel that powers the economy. So all this will translate to what? More expensive goods, correct? I mean, if a trucker has or a, um, you know, a freight lining company, I'm thinking about some of these transatlantic freight liners and trans-Pacific freight liners. I mean, all of that goes into their business model. And the higher fuel costs are, the more expensive the goods become. Um, that's just where we're headed. And I still think it goes back to, I mean, I, you know, I understand the majority of you think it's intentional. And to some degree, I think the intentional part of it comes after the incompetence. I think if, I think Goldman Sachs. Can, can they really be that incompetent, though? Yes. I mean, I think Ab- they absolutely. are. I agree with you. Ab- but I mean, absolutely. What they have done Rev, in a year what, and a half. When you live in a world where there are no metrics and measures, I mean, what if you and I were allowed to do a radio show, and the owners of the radio show said, "I don't care how many people listen." I mean, do you think we would be as committed? I mean, I'd like to believe you're committed. I'm committed. Mike's committed. We're, we're committed because we must be. We're in a competitive marketplace. I mean, these people listening to this show could listen to something else. I mean, if you suck at what you do, the metric and measure catches up with you. That's called a market-based economy. We've got to win. We've got to compete. We've got to to be good at what we do. When you're in the public sector, you don't compete with any. There are no metrics or measures. How do we hold the government accountable? I mean, yesterday I said this, and somebody texted me and said, you're exactly right. Somebody in, in finance yesterday when I said, never in American history, have governments, school boards, I'm talking about K through 12, higher education, city government, county government, state government, the federal government, never in American history has government, quote unquote, had that, this much money in deposit at banks all over the country. How did they earn that? I mean, imagine we, we went through a pandemic. We don't have baby formula. We're worried about diesel fuel shortages, but the governments around the world have more money than they've ever had in their history <laughs> 
because they don't have to compete with anybody. You don't have to win. It doesn't matter well, they, if you're good or not. Or they printed uh, the job. Sure, they did exactly what they did. I mean, the, the numbers I keep going back to: eight point three, excuse me, eight point nine billion dollars of federal aid, stimulus money made its way to South Carolina. Of the eight point three billion, I'm sorry, I keep saying eight three six nine. It's actually eight nine six three. Of the eight point nine billion dollars of stimulus that made its way into South Carolina. $6.3 billion is in government accounts somewhere in South Carolina. That's absurd. That's insanity. That makes no sense. So we're out here in the real world competing our behinds off, doing what we can to make sure we garner a market share and are successful, and the government just kind of, you know, whimsically moves along. There is no accountability whatsoever. And if you go such an extended period of time with no accountability, people become complacent and incompetent. And that's the nature of government today. That's why we must demand more competition within the public sector. Some way, somehow, we've got to create a model that insists and requires and forces upon elements of the public sector to compete, to, to, to prove that they're worth whatever it is we invest. I got a story here in a second um, about Fauci and um, Collins, Francis Collins. Did they or did they not receive royalty payments? from some of these drug companies. Oh, I mean, it's absurd really? what we've allowed to happen. And we sat idly by, and we've accepted, you know, our government is, man, and I've done that. I mean, I've, I've been guilty of that for a while. I'm not going to be guilty of it any longer. I mean, I don't accept government's excuse. I'm simply not going to do it any longer. We must elect people who demand results of our government. Let's go to the phone. Jason in Marion is next. Hi, Jason. Good morning, fellas. Uh, Ken, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to listen or watch Tucker Carlson's opening monologue last night. I did. Um, but um, it had me fuming. And I encourage the listeners to go find that. Um, he talked about the Congress approving this $40 billion aid to Ukraine and how in the last six months we spent more money um, on Ukraine than we've tried to you know, resolve the problems we have here. And I understand, you know, there is a problem in Ukraine, but we have to take care of ourselves first. And he said that he hopes there's some billionaire out there that will run, help uh, people run campaigns against these Republicans that, um, you know, supported this. And I just wonder if you could kind of touch on that. And uh, I watched it, but just fill me in a little bit more, and I'll take it off the air. You have a good one. Thank you. Well, I mean, McConnell's twisting arms in the Republican Party, uh, threatening uh, opposition in the primary if you don't go along with this last tranche of money that is going to Ukraine. It's $40 billion, and McConnell prefaces all of this by saying, all of us are aware that the most important issue today is the war in Ukraine. I don't know anybody that agrees with that. I don't know anybody in my world that thinks Ukraine-Russia is more important than inflation or diesel fuel shortages or baby formula shortages or the government taking care of its people. I mean, that's the response. Mitch McConnell's job is not to, to manage the affairs of Ukraine and Russia. It is to manage the affairs of the United States of America. Now, as part of that foreign policy, I mean, there's no question. You can't exempt American diplomacy from foreign policy. I mean, it's going to be part and parcel to the realities of what a member of the Senate or Congress has to, or the Senate or the House has to do. But it's certainly not the priority. Well, in McConnell's world, it is. Joe Sixpack doesn't hold a fundraiser for McConnell. Raytheon does. 
You know, Jane Doe doesn't hold a fundraiser for McConnell. Halliburton does. And there's a lot of money to be made with foreign intervention. It's always been a very lucrative uh, affair with our government. So McConnell's playing old school politics. Now, now here's what we've got to do. We've got to replace people like Mitch McConnell with people like J.D. Vance. Now, J.D.'s unproven. I mean, there's no question about this. I I put a tweet up yesterday. um, The most important figures in America first. I mean, I think that's an interesting conversation Mm -hmm. to have. Um, Who's phony and who's not? Who's a who's a uh, who's a um, a transient? Who's not? Your list was was a good list, and I spent some time trying to think of who I would add to that list, and I'm having a difficult time. And this movement cannot sustain with that group of no, five, five people. It's got to turn into hundreds, right? And I'm not talking. Well, there, there are millions in, in the public square, right. but elected I mean, officials. That we, are, we, we've got to we, bingo. I mean, we've got to find true believing America first candidates who can beat establishment Republicans, go to Washington, chair a committee, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, abuse the power once they gain it. Take advantage of being a committee chair and execute an American first just, policy. Just say use the power. Use it. Uh, you want, you, <laughs> I think abuse is a more provocative really? word. Let's go to the phone. <laughs> it is. Uh, Linda in Pamplico. Hello, Linda. Good morning, y'all. I really appreciate you. Know, you get your get people's brains uh, ticking first thing in the morning. Listen, I want to touch on something that is kind of obvious to me, but I guess people are afraid to say anything about it. Is this uh, baby formula situation? I have not heard anything about promoting uh, breastfeeding. I guess that there it might be offensive to some women. It might be offensive, but this is what those breasts were made for, and I just hadn't heard anything about that maybe that would be a, you know, a solution. I know not everybody can do it, or you can't do it for a long time, but I have not heard one word about that. So i just just curious. I mean, am I, if I'm the only one that, you know, this is a bad situation, but I'm just thinking, like, nobody said anything about that. Yeah, I, thank you. Appreciate it, Linda. I don't think it's controversial at all. I mean, if you're a kindergartner, you know, a second grader, and you start talking about, you know, parts of the female anatomy, I mean, I understand the the, the joking nature of kids, you know, with things like that. But, uh, you know, breastfeeding has been around since the beginning of time or since man and woman inhabited the earth. And the first baby was born. There was no uh, Abbott Labs making formula. Uh, back when Adam and Eve had kids. And so, so at the beginning of time, you know, kids were receiving their nutrient from uh, their mother's breast. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, other than a, like I said, a second or third grader, you know, some schoolyard um, kind of a clown saying a joke. I mean, there's there's nothing embarrassing about that at all. Um, and I don't have the answer. I don't know what percentage of women breastfeed. I don't know what percentage of babies receive their nutrition from the mother's breast milk. Um but there's an Abbott makes a lot of the country's baby formula, and they've been uh, under some sort of compliance ordinance with the FDA that forced them to to shut down and revisit some of their I don't know their, their processes. And out of that has come a um, a fairly substantial shortage in the uh, in the baby formula supply in America. But I don't think there's anything at all controversial about you know breastfeeding. Uh, that's been around much longer than baby formula has. And I don't, I don't have any idea what when a woman chooses to breastfeed or a woman chooses or a child, uh, you know, I, I don't understand that 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 female infant dynamic. Um, but it's been around as long as humanity has. Let's go to the phone. 
Here is Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, if if you look at history, you you can't come to any other conclusion other than this is intentional. I mean, Democrats, the liberal, communists, whatever you want to call them, are in it for the long term. Look at Obamacare. They knew they were going to lose probably the House and the Senate, but they passed it anyway because they knew it was a entitlement that would never be taken back. And they figured that the American people are so stupid, they would forget about it and vote them back in power. And that's exactly what's happened. This global warming started out as global cooling. That didn't work. They went to global warming. That didn't work. Now it's climate change. They said we'd have no more snows, no more ice from the poles in 2005, in 2013. But the American people keep voting them into power. If we do not have a replacement for our energy, the nuclear, they're shutting those down. We've, we've developed hydrogen power. They've worked on cars running hydrogen to the offspring of that is oxygen. I mean, water. I mean, you get H2O out of hydrogen cars. That's their uh, pollution, as you say. But the American people, that's why the schools are so important. They have dumbed down the people so bad. Look at the Philippines. My God, they just voted back in Fernando Marcos's son to be their president. And he's the one that they ran out of town in a rail back in the 80s. And this this is all intentional. You cannot even have a doubt about that. The Democrats do not care. They're telling the American people right now that the Republicans prevented the filibuster. They're not telling them that Joe Manchin said, no, this is not codified Roe v. Wade. It goes beyond Roe v. Wade and wipes out 500 state laws on abortion if they pass that bill last night. Every news outlet saying the Republicans filibustered even though they lost 49 to 51. So I don't see how you can say this is not intentional. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. I mean, I'm not saying something... For you to believe this is, a, I mean, so you, so we believe three years ago, somebody said, let's take this COVID pandemic and create a shortage of diesel fuel and baby formula. I mean, is that what we're arguing? That, that, because, because if we're arguing that, we'll never win because that's the most savvy, competent group of people in the history of mankind. I mean, if all of this is intentional and their plan three years ago was to take a pandemic, and, and, and disrupt, you know, supply and production to the point that we didn't have baby formula under diesel fuel, then, I mean, it's over. I mean, that, that they are all geniuses, <laughs> and we have no chance at all to win. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Rujan joins us now. Hey, Rujan. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, listen, um, I'm not an expert on it, but I definitely <laughs> – I uh, had to do a, a project when I was uh, going for my master's degree that dealt with uh, baby formula. 
And what I found out was the baby formula has been around since about the mid-1800s. But in the 1950s and going into the 1960s, uh, there was a push to help women that were not producing enough uh, uh, breast milk to feed their children in, in, in areas that have been decimated by war and, and famine and things such as that. So, so they, they created it as a supplement, uh, not as a primary source of, of nutrition uh, for, 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 uh, for mothers, uh, for their babies. Uh, and then what happened, uh, those individuals that saw that there was some money to be made, started promoting it and talking to doctors and getting doctors to promote it, uh, so that uh, they could start selling it to the general public as a substitute, uh, or not a substitute, but a replacement for breastfeeding. Um, And then in 1972, as you have mentioned before with other government programs, uh, WIC went into full blast and and, and, uh, WIC started buying formula. And so uh, the doctors kept telling women that uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, breastfeeding and having the you know your your breasts fall and in later years and you'll still look you know perky and you know and everything uh and not like the ladies that did breastfeed uh, so it, it's basically been a combination of things that that has caused us i mean you know there's always been a situation where if you ever had a had a shortage you're going to have hungry babies because women don't breastfeed anymore. And I put, I, I made a post up on Facebook and I had to, to kind of preface it that, you know, to say that I'm not attacking women that don't breastfeed. I'm just saying that there's a, there's a grand scheme out there to, uh, and there's not a conspiracy theory. I, I know that it's true to get people to depend on something other than what God. Rajon, we got a hard break yeah. top of the hour. I'm sorry. Don't mean to interrupt That's you. Man. We got some bills to pay. Thank you for the call. We'll be back in just a minute. Put the knife away back up from the cliff. We're talking about diesel fuel shortages, potentially. Uh, We know we have a baby formula shortage. Uh, Reggie's talking about a bear market. Uh, It's interesting, the anatomy of a bear market. Maybe we don't have a bear market, but let's just talk in case we do. What is the anatomy of a bear market? Guys, I just believe that there are hard times ahead. I mean, once again, take it for what it's worth. I'm not an economist. Uh, I'm not a bureaucrat. I'm not an administrator. I don't have any qualification at all. To say these things, I say other than that the gut instinct that I've kind of lived most of my adult life on and the many, many relationships and friendships that I've cultivated and maintained over the years, and they normally lead me to a to a place where it is in close proximity to where we end up. And you said earlier during the break that maybe that's the reason some people do put stock in what we say mm-hmm. over these airwaves is um, we do sometimes, most times, end up in close proximity to the way I say we're going to end up. I mean, you know, you, you can debate this a million different ways, but you can't do the things we've done for the last three or four years and not expect there to be a severe consequence at the end. You just can't. I mean, it would be far more nonsensical to believe we can do all these stupid things we've done and not have any sort of consequence. We're heading to a bad place. And it's going to be bad for an extended period of time. That's the that's what I believe to be reality. And and it, and it can't be reversed at this point. What do you do? 
I mean, how, what, what do you do? Well, that's what I'm asking. I mean, we've got so much cash flying around the economy, so much liquidity out there. And once again, we're trying to restore some of the uh, some of the production facilities and some of the distribution facility or distribution network. I mean, we just we just shocked the system in a way that it had never, ever been shocked. And I don't deny what, what Joe said about intentionality. I, I don't deny that some of this was intentional. But but a lot of this is bordering on incompetence, the lack of understanding. I think it's very intentional for bureaucrats in government to like telling us what to do and when we can do it and how we can do it. And the majority of Americans proved to be okay with that. Shut your business down. I will. Um, take this medicine. I will. Wear this mask. I will. Don't go here. I won't. Go here. I will. Stay home. Okay. Um, lock down your business. Lock down your your neighborhood. Okay. And, and I, I guess the greatest... The greatest issue during the pandemic was our lack of resistance. The spirit of resistance is necessary if America is to maintain its prominence. I want to say that again. The spirit of resistance is far more important than governance. I mean, self-governance does require an adherence. And we have an obligation uh, to, to respect law and order. We do. We, we honestly have. I mean, if it's a bad law, it's a bad law. If it's a good law, it's a good law. But we have an obligation as citizens but the spirit of resistance must be incorporated in nearly everything we do as a people. And I guess that was the disappointing part uh, of the COVID pandemic, how little we resisted and how willing government was to beat your ass if you did. I mean, think about that, how punitive government was if you chose hair salon. Remember the restaurateur down um, at the beach mm -hmm. when he said, man, I can't shut my business down. I can't feed my family. You know what they did? They didn't send DHEC to see him. They sent SLED to see him. DHEC regulates restaurants until it's time to strike fear in someone, and then you send SLED. And I'm telling you guys, that's not going to change. That is the way government operates today. They've expanded their parameters, that they've abused their authorities, and unless we're willing to call upon that spirit of resistance, we're going to get exactly what we deserve. Let's go to the phone. Here is Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. Yeah, kid, I hear you, brother. And again, you know, if it is incompetence, that means that every one of those people are, are dumber than you and I are. All of those Yale guys, all of those Harvard guys, all of those lawyers, all of those people are not as smart as you and I. A guy that tells people how to do curls and a guy that builds that old truck bed is smarter than every member of the, of the political class up there in Washington, D.C. If that's true, then we're really screwed. But here's another thing, too, Dave. There's no way we will really put a lot of fear in the Democrats because they know we are people like you and I are will vote for. Them. But we better show ourselves put some fear in the Lindsey Grahams out there and the rest of those guys. And that's our problem. Our Republican leaders are not afraid of being thrown out of office like they should be. We're not holding them accountable. You, know, you get Marjorie Taylor Greene just, just put down as a nutcase. Because she asked a very simple question. You were talking about Tucker last night. So we're going to spend all this. Uh, we're going to spend more money on the Ukraine than we did on COVID. And then just turn around and we're going to say we can't have baby formula. And then she gets accused of being a, a stooge for Putin. But she asked a very simple question. We need to start these people that we consider outliers are the only ones standing up for us. Lindsey Graham has not mentioned one time the price of diesel the price of gas, the price of food, what they're doing to us, how much the wars will cost. Nobody said out they're going to pay for the damn war. 
They're just spending the money. They're sitting there letting us suffer, and they don't give a rat's ass. And we, and, and we can bitch and raise hell all we want between ourselves, but until somebody starts saying, I'm going to get to our Republican leaders' faces and tell them, you're out of here, bud, until you start acting more like these people and less like them, because the Democrats could not be doing what they're doing if it wasn't for you, Lindsey Graham, and you, Mitch McConnell's, and your daggone Robbies and the rest of those guys. And we better do that at our state level right now. We need to tell our governor and our state legislators and our state senators, hey, you're out of here, bud. If you don't start doing what we want you to do, we're going to daggone organize and we'll get rid of it. All of these daggone country club Republicans, the hell with those SSBs. They walk around and they drive their nice pickup trucks and all that kind of stuff, but they aren't nothing but Democrats. But we don't start fighting them. That's who we, our war is with the Republicans. So we get called the Democrats. They don't give a crap what we think. But we better straighten up our old party and get our own army and get the traitors out of our army. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. I mean, I think Breeze is on to there. I mean, you know, he, Joe Breeze and I, and you to some degree, would have a fundamental disagreement about where intentionality kind of bumps into incompetence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your line would be in a little bit different place than mine, and Breeze's would be in a little bit different. Uh, I'll go on the record, Breeze. Um, I think you are smart as anybody who graduated from Yale last year. You may not, I mean, not be as academically inclined and, and, and look at the world in, in kind, of, kind of an intelligentsia sort of way, but I think Breeze is absolutely as smart as, as the, the, the kind of graduate Yale or Harvard or Princeton or those people are, are pumping out, cranking out. Um, yeah, they score better on the SAT, and they make better grades. But but I'm telling you guys, wisdom and experience and savviness and um, just a kind of a real-world experience and comprehending of what makes the world go around is far more valuable, far more valuable. I mean, the ultimate compliment, not the ultimate compliment, but a compliment Rev has given to me uh, before off the air, and I think maybe on the air time or two, is when we say, who needs to be in that room? And Rev will say, you do. <laughs> I mean, you do. You need to be in that room mm-hmm. where they're hashing out these sorts of decisions right. or coming to these conclusions. And it's not because I'm any um, more intelligent than anybody. I'm certainly not more intelligent. I mean, I would be of average intelligence. But but I think the one thing I've done is try to comprehend and understand um, where we are, where we were, where we're headed. And and I, I just don't think those sorts of people understand that. Now, now to Breeze's point, so we've got a disagreement. Rev disagrees with me. Breeze disagrees with me. Joe disagrees with me. When when does the when does it change from uh, incompetence to intentionality or, or vice versa? And you know we, we we could talk about that from now until the end of the day, and and we'd probably still have somewhat of a disagreement. I think we would all admit there's some degree of both that there's some level of incompetency, that there's some level of uh, intentionality, and they kind of meet somewhere out there in a place. That, that is not easily defined. I mean, w- would you accept that as, as a premise? Yeah, and, and, and I lean toward um, intentionality because if, if these people, and I don't understand it, of course, and don't agree with it, but if they believe that the use of fossil fuels, for example— What don't is, you understand? You understand—see, see, that's what they've convinced you and the masses. I don't understand it. I mean, I don't know if I should say this. I don't, I don't know if I— Well, no, I, I don't did. understand where they come from and how they can get there is what okay, I'm saying. Okay, but, but you but, understand but, the issue at hand. As well as they do. I mean, I, you understand. I, so. uh, you, you, I just have a different opinion. Okay, you've never taken a political science course in your life. True. You've never taken an economics class in your life. Right. Okay, but you understand. You're, you're plenty smart to know, without a shadow of a doubt, 
that we're not going to stop burning fossil fuels by 2035. I mean, you, you know that. I mean, it, 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 you're nodding your head. I mean, yeah, you're going like, of course I know that. I mean, you know, Biden said it, but nobody believed what Biden said. So you're, you know, when, when Biden says that, is that incompetence or intentional? That's intentional. I mean, Biden's not that stupid. I mean, he's got to say that to kind of create energy with a movement. Uh, it's a little bit like the, uh, I mean, every political party has movements within the political party. But when Biden stays on a debate stage and says, we're going to be all fossil fuel by 2035, that's not incompetence. I mean, right. he doesn't buy that. He right. just says that as a, as a matter of political statement to generate some sort of um, enthusiasm within a, a nucleus of voters that he needs the support of as he progresses. But, but w- when you say that, um, they've got this well-schemed plan of how to get from here to there. No, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that at all. I think they make it up as they go. Mm. I, I just do. I don't think they have. Well, when we say, you know, um, the, these people are, you, you're kind of insinuating that they're evil geniuses, that they're maniacal. You're giving them too much credit. Well, you're giving case. them far too much credit, <laughs> far too much credit. I mean, I would argue they're evil, but, 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 my but point I, on I the... certainly don't believe they're geniuses by any stretch of the imagination. If, if they now, truly now, believe. Let me, let me, let me okay. stop. And then I'll, now, the people at Goldman, they're geniuses. The, the people oh, at yeah. BlackRock, they're geniuses. Why? They're playing off the government. I mean, they know they're smarter than people, uh, administrators and, and bureaucrats in government. When, when somebody from Goldman or BlackRock sits down with a government panel or a blue ribbon team, they walk into that meeting knowing that they're smarter, knowing that they're better equipped. Why? Because they, they have to express some degree of the animal spirits of the private sector. You, you see what I'm saying? That They're on one side of the table in, in a competitive marketplace. They've got to win. You can't be incompetent. You can't be, um, you know, misled. You can't be uh, lack of understanding. What I mean, you've got to clearly understand it. That's why I believe these are such mismatches. I mean, it's just a complete and total mismatch. When a guy from BlackRock leaves and goes to work at a consulting company and he sits down with an administrator or a bureaucrat from a government agency, that's the biggest mismatch you'll ever you'll ever have. That's like a. Um, uh, that's like Jimmy Sexton comes to mind. You know why coaches make so much money, the SEC or the ACC for that matter, college football coaches in general? No college football coach is worth $9 million. I mean, the job's not that hard. A lot of people could do that job. But when Jimmy Sexton sits down with an AD from, from a major university, who's the smartest guy in that room? Take a wild guess. Jimmy Sexton, uh, a guy who eats what he kills, or an administrator, who's worried about, you know, who did I offend yesterday and how woke do I need to be tomorrow? It's a complete and total mismatch. Uh, Mike, got to take a break. Uh, the, the Reggie's bit got me a bit behind. Didn't have as much time to run my mouth as I'd like, but we've got more hours in the day. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937-1866-TELL-KIN. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. Morning, guys. Um Interesting show this morning. I, I was um, thinking you, when you're talking about the the insiders in Washington and in Wall Street and so forth, maybe not being so smart, um, but they they're smart enough that they don't want uh, hyperinflation. Now, hyperinflation is not ten percent a year; it's a thousand percent a year, and hyperinflation would mean the end of the American empire. So they're gonna they're going to do whatever they can to prevent that. And one of the tools in their toolbox uh, historically has been to cause a recession. 
cause a recession that reduces, you know, by raising interest rates, that reduces demand, and so there are not as many, you know, there are not as many dollars chasing the too few goods, and so the recession comes, I mean, inflation comes down. And uh, another another tool, I don't know if it's, well, it's maybe sort of historical, but a war will, will, uh, will cause people to put up with a recession and put up with privations of price controls and things. So that's another reason I think the insiders like this war in Ukraine, uh, besides the fact that we're able to make money off of it. Our military-industrial complex makes a lot of money, but we're not actually having soldiers killed. So um, that's sort of a win-win. We get the benefits of war, and people are willing to put up with with some shortages uh, because, uh, well, you know, it's the good thing to do. Um, so I guess what I'm sort of my bottom line is I'm saying if in the short run. Uh, they may be able to keep this thing going, and maybe inflation will come down. The inflation we got now, maybe it'll back off some, and you know they'll cause some recession, and and you know keep people uh, distracted with the with the war and so forth. Uh, in the long run, is when we're in trouble uh, because basically that kind of stuff is is not right, and uh, God's not going to bless that forever you know that's what i i was just uh some observations from from somebody that's read some history and observed things for a number of years sure thank you sam appreciate that i heard from you a while good to hear from you uh this morning and um the point i the only i'm not arguing or disagreeing with sam because i think he would probably agree if we um had a little longer time to, to discuss this the 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 argument i'm trying to make is where do we go from here? I mean, if we've got inflation that's rampant and we've got suppressed interest rates and we've got supply issues and, and we've got distribution issues and we've got many, I mean, there, there are a lot of issues. There, there's not a lot to like about this economy when you, when you really dig a little bit deeper. I mean, we can talk GDP and we can talk uh, unemployment numbers and we can talk, I mean, workforce participation. But when you really get in the weeds, of this economy, and you start looking at Wall Street. Reggie was uh, here a second ago talking about, you know, uh, the anatomy of a bear market. Well, I mean, when Reggie starts talking about the anatomy of a bear market, you know what I hear? There's one of the experts who believe we're headed to a to a bear market. And Reggie, in very generous spirit, said, you know, I'm not saying we're heading to a bear market. Well, I'll say it. We are heading to a bear market. I think we're going to have a a financial and economic disruption bigger than we had in 2008. Because I think it's overreaching. I think oh. it's far-reaching. I don't think it's confined to the housing sector. When you look at the Fed's balance sheet and you, you juxtapose the balance sheet with the S&P 500, it's pretty obvious why the market has had a good 14 years. I mean, without question. I mean, it's had a few blips and a few sell-offs. But by and large, come here, Rev. I mean, I want you to do this for me to validate what I'm okay. trying to make. L- look at this line that, that kind of correlates the Fed balance sheet with the S&P 500. I mean, what does it look like? I mean, you know, what? what very similar. Very similar okay, to one another. Pretty so, close so, together. So the more active, the more activist the Fed was, uh, the better the S and P five hundred did. So, so what I've said for about fourteen years, what we live in la la land. I mean, the, the, the financial realities of America in days gone by is not the financial reality of today. 
We live in a very propped up economy. We live in a very distorted economy. And I think the majority of this is because the Fed has chosen to take control, by and large, of aspects of the economy that we've never entrusted. I mean, we could go down quantitative easing and we can talk about, you know, um, the Fed loaning, uh, overnight lending window. I mean, there, there's so many complications in here. But, but the reality is in 2008, the Fed had its avail a few tools that they could do. Uh, they, they could raise, excuse me, they could lower interest rates. Uh, how do you lower interest rates when they're one half of 1%? I know it's higher now, and they've already talked about another half point and maybe 1.75 total basis points down the road, which is going to lead to a decline in economic activity. I mean, it just is. And, and here's what I want to say, and then we'll get to John. Um, I'll say it in one sentence, and I don't have a degree from anywhere. But, but macroeconomic stimulus creates inflationary pressures that makes you poorer. I mean, that's devaluing the dollar. I mean, that's just the realities. You don't escape that. I don't care how creative. I don't care how many people graduated from Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Stanford Business School. That is a economic reality that at some point in time will rear its head. And I think combining all of that Fed activism, all of that quantitative easing, and all of that injection of liquidity with the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan, combine that with the way we shocked our distribution and, and, and uh, production capacities, and you're going to end up in a very, very bad place, and there's no easy way to get out. But it's as simple as that. I'm not an economist. I'm not a professor. But I can assure you that there are certain economic reality, realities that you're going to deal with, and I think we're at the beginning of having to deal with some very, very questionable decisions that our nation's leaders made. So uh, we'll shift gears and go to Great Television's senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker. Uh, John, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're doing well today and having a great week. So, John, the big news is a, a couple of issues that the majority of our listeners are, are well aware of and paying attention to, and that is just rampant inflation. Um, that seems to be uh, the majority of what we talk about here. Um, it affects everybody and how they live their lives and then we've got the vote on abortion and the, you know, the Supreme Court decision, or we think the pending decision. But I want to go sure. to inflation first. Do people in Washington really understand how much inflation has affected the rank and file American? Well, they should, uh, you know, because everybody fills up their gas tank uh, every week, uh, if not a lot uh uh, sooner than that. But, uh, you know, look, I, I think that we heard from President Biden earlier this week and his comments uh, on uh, inflation were a head scratcher for me, Ken. And the reason being is because I got a heads up the day before that the president was going to make some uh, remarks on inflation and address on inflation. I was expecting to hear some policy prescriptions some proposals, and I heard nothing uh, from the president in that regard. So I don't know the reason that he made that address when he wasn't saying, uh, this is what I'm going to do about it. He said, hey, this is my number one domestic uh, priority. That's great. Uh, you know, I feel your pain. That's great. But I think for most Americans, they just want to hear, what are you going to do about this pain? What are you going to do about this problem? Well, let's shift gears and go to the Women's Health Protection Act. Uh, Chuck Schumer uh, forced the Senate yesterday to vote on the bill. Uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, as he's done occasionally, voted with the Republicans. The bill fails 49 to 51. Where do the Democrats go from here? Uh, I think they just take this as a political issue to campaign on. I mean, that's uh, pretty clear what Chuck Schumer's purpose was. He knew what their vote was going to be ahead of time. Uh, even knew that Joe Manchin, a uh, fellow Democrat, was going to vote 
against this uh, particular piece of legislation. So uh, this is what uh, Democrats right now believe will energize them ahead of the midterm elections. And they certainly need some energy because, as you just mentioned, the number one issue for most Americans, most Americans, Ken, is inflation. That's what will drive people to the polls uh, in November. And so uh, this is something that they believe will ignite uh, certain elements of the Democratic Party, young voters in particular. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens in November. But that's uh, the issue that uh, we already see a number of Senate Democrats are campaigning on for their reelection. John, thank you for your time. Have a great day, and we'll talk next Thursday. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Ken. Bye-bye. Thank you. Great television senior national editor, White House correspondent John Decker. And I do want to be a good time to give a shout-out to WNBF. Great television owns WNBF. That's the NBC affiliate in Myrtle Beach. And um, we've had a lot of compliments. And um, you're a great partner on the debate. Last no week. question about it. A week from today, you know, we were um, we were sitting here doing what we always do, and that is raise hell on the radio uh, <laughs> with with anticipation and to some degree hopes that we were going to be serious enough to pull off a debate. And uh, and I think we did it. And I want to thank WMBF and Francis Marion University for um, allowing us to partner with them in a um, in, in a very serious moment in the wake of Carolina's history <laughs> when uh, when we behave long enough. It's only a couple of hours. We behaved long enough to um to moderate, host, and uh, I don't know, Rev, um, facilitate yeah. a uh, a debate that will garner a lot of attention as we move forward. Uh, I, I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again because uh, I actually text with someone on the Rice team yesterday extensively. I mean, we text nearly all day back and forth. I would initiate a text, they would initiate a text, and it was all about this West Virginia race. You know, for for those just joining us, we had a race yesterday or Tuesday in West Virginia. The re- reporting came in yesterday where Mooney and uh, McKinley. McKinley was an incumbent. Mooney was an incumbent. But West Virginia, because of its decline in population, lost a congressional seat. Went from three seats to two in West Virginia. So you've got an incumbent Republican, an incumbent Republican um, in a consolidated district. And th- th- it's very similar. H- here were the realities. Um one guy was endorsed by Trump. The other guy didn't vote to impeach Trump, but voted to form the January 6th commission. And a lot of the um, a lot of the debate was around, you know, him forming or voting and supporting the Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Adam Schiff commission. That's what I like to refer to. <laughs> it's kind of a gang of four, to be honest with you. You know, Cheney, Kinzinger, the, the never Trumpers in the Republican Party. And then Pelosi and uh, Schiff, and that speaks for itself. I don't have to tell you exactly who they are and where they stand. Well, McKinley supported that, and he was just torn apart in that election. And I I don't know that it's a precursor to what's coming down the pike in um, in June, uh, what, five weeks, a little better than five weeks from now uh, with the 7th Congressional District Republican primary. But I think those are stark realities that have to resonate in this district um one guy endorsed by trump got about 55 or six or seven percent of the vote the person who voted uh running against a trump endorsed candidate voted to support informing the january 6th commission gets about 35 percent of the vote and i've said it before the election in west virginia i think if you vote to impeach trump you're going to get 35 percent of the vote because that's kind of the number of republicans who would rather not have Trump as part of the future. I mean, they really want Trump to get on his, you know, jet and fly off to wherever it is he wants to go and do whatever it is he wants to do. Go build golf courses, you know, build hotels, whatever it is you do. Um, We just want you 
gone from here, banished from the Republican Party. I just don't know how 35 turns into 50. But I just don't. Now, now you know, the um, a lot of these elections, the J.D. Vance election, the Pennsylvania election, or plurality elections, the Wyoming House seat will be a plurality election. Uh, Harriet Hageman has the support of Trump. We know what Liz Cheney is. But, um, but, but as I think about this race, and I'm trying to take personalities out of the equation, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight at all. I mean, you know, to each his own and may the best man or woman win. But I just look at the West Virginia race and it closely resembles, to me, it's kind of a microcosm of what is to come in the 7th Congressional District. I think it's easy for somebody to impeach Trump and get 35. I think it's almost impossible for somebody to impeach Trump and get 50. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I don't have a dog in the fight, but I just look at the politics and the math of what I see, and it's just hard for me to see um, that happening. But that's why we have elections to each his own. I do notice on television that it seems to me, and maybe somebody has polling, obviously somebody has polling I don't have, but it it looks to me like um, the Fry and Rice campaign believe it's a two-man race. You know, with no disrespect to the other five candidates, um, they're beginning to go negative on one another. Uh, missed votes, um, you know, increased your wealth while you were in office. Some of these typical things that you see in hotly contested political campaigns. But they're beginning to suggest to me that their polling data makes it very clear that they're going to be the two in the runoff. And the campaign is kind of between, uh, despite there being seven candidates, and I know if a lot of folks out there don't like either one of those two, and I get it. And we're going to play this thing out to the end. Um, I'm just simply giving you my take on where I see it today and where I see this potentially um, ending up. Take a break. Back in just a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. A very spirited debate on Wake Up Carolina this morning. Let's go to the phone. Here is J.D. in Greenville. Morning, J.D. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning, sir. Good. I, you know, I'm up here visiting, and, I, and I'm cut on the TV, and I, I'll usually watch Fox. Fox went to a commercial. Well, sometimes I'll turn it over to the MSNBC, and I did, and lo and behold, there's Tom Rice. In the year debate from last week, they played his entire segment explaining his vote, and then they go on from 10 more minutes with Tom Rice as the poster child of MSNBC. That kind of hurt my feelings. Hmm. That's very I've interesting. Been, you know, I've, I've been a Rice supporter for all this time, but i got to tell you, that, that hurt my feelings. Thank you, J.D. Appreciate that. That's very interesting. Um, we've had calls about ads in places you would expect ads to be for somebody running in a Republican primary, and it leads me to believe they're trying to elicit some Democrat support, some crossover vote. It's not a closed primary. It's an open primary i think everybody has a right to support any candidate they choose to support on whatever reason you believe appropriate i mean i can't tell mike what he should think about rice or fry or barbara arthur or anybody but it's mike's i mean mike has a right to decide on the merits of what he believes to be uh, priority one or two or three or four um rice explains his vote as well as rice can explain his vote um you know i would probably explain explain it a little bit differently but I would imagine Ken Richardson would explain it differently and Russell Fry would explain it differently and Barbara Arthur would explain it differently and Mark McBride would explain it differently. I mean, that's the nature of politics um, and, and your vote is independent. 
I mean, your vote shouldn't be influenced by what I say or what Rev says or what anybody. I mean, it is. I mean, all of us are influenced by certain things we put some degree of faith or or trust in. But um, yeah, I mean, it's discouraging to me when I see a Republican appearing on MSNBC trying to go along and get along. I'm not saying that's what Rice was doing because I don't have any idea what Tom was doing on uh, on MSNBC. But um, there's not a lot of Republicans watching MSNBC as we speak, which leads you to believe there, there's kind of a an effort to elicit support from those who don't historically vote in Republican primaries. Um, we shall see. You know, I've gone to the record and I'll stay on the record. You know, I don't know that Tom has an opponent as strong as his vote against Trump. I mean, I really, when I look at the, if someone said, what is the biggest, who is the biggest challenger to Congressman Rice? Um, I mean, obviously today it would probably be Russell Fry because he has the Trump endorsement, but I think Russell's candidacy pales into the struggle Rice is going to have in explaining or defending or articulating an answer to why he voted to impeach President Donald Trump. That's what this race is about. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, who didn't believe that was going to be the case uh, when we finally got to, you know, the short rows of a political campaign? And we're not quite there yet, but we're getting uh, pretty doggone close. You know, the question fundamentally is, who wants America first to be the primary driving, uh, you know, agenda force in the Republican Party and who does not? Take a break. Back in a minute. Hour number three on a Thursday morning, 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone held on during the break. Mike from Wilmington. Morning, Mike. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. I just wanted to wish a big happy birthday to the Royal Rev of Radio. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Mike from Wilmington. <laughs> this is Brandon Baker. Okay. This is your son. <laughs> yeah, I recognize. Okay, Brandon. Yeah, we'll, not, we'll nice all, try. Thank we'll, you. We'll all wish him a happy <laughs> We knew we didn't have listeners in Wilmington. We're not that we're not that regional yet. We're we're very uh, exclusive to this market, uh, these three markets we broadcast in. Brandon, thank you, man. Appreciate you calling oh, yeah, in. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, you, you didn't thanks do such so. a good job. <laughs> you want to wish him happy birthday? You want to do it now, Brandon? Sure. Okay. Um, I'm not going to sing, but happy Please. birthday oh, thank you. to the Royal Rev of Radio. Yeah, happy, birth- happy birthday, Dad. Oh, man. Appreciate there that. There you go. Oh, See, there you was, go. Was, uh, he's, he's after something. I can assure you of that. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> oh. Appreciate you. Hanging on. All right. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. You too. Yeah, he's after something. I can assure you of that, Rev. Um, <laughs> what is it likely to be? You know, my, my daughter has two ways of addressing me. It's daddy, you know, or daddy. And if it's ever daddy, I know something's coming. Daddy. Um, remember when you told me I could get that such and such or, or, or daddy, do you remember when we said that we would probably do this or probably do that? Um, kids are always manipulating whether they're intending to or not. Mm-hmm. So happy birthday. Well, thank you. Appreciate uh, how that. old, uh, this is 55 mm. double yeah. nickels as we yeah. like to say out in the, uh, in the wild blue yonder. Well, so congratulations. Happy you. birthday. Appreciate that. Uh, and I should have known something was up because, uh, producer mike uh, was in here and said hey uh the caller mike from wilmington really needs to get on quickly because uh because he's in a hurry he kept coming here saying you know we got to get him on and what so did he, i say he, he was in and what did i say <laughs> he said we're not building a, a radio show around whether mike and wilmington is in a hurry or not so <laughs> well you made okay. up a name i see i see that's the first okay. one that Good came deal. to your mind yeah yeah oh that's true see mike, i didn't make that you'd be mike yeah. from freehold right yeah. Yeah. Mike from Freehold, <laughs> whose dad owns a guitar that Bruce Springsteen yeah. owned. I want to tell the story. 
I mean, I drank a few Blue Moon. I said, I work with this guy whose dad went to school with Springsteen. They've actually got the guitar, the first guitar Springsteen ever played in his life. And they don't even want to get it authenticated because they don't care how much money it's worth or not. Right. And I'll, well, I, mean, I did. I mean, I, you know, it didn't matter if you did or not. Yeah, you I mean, care. I, I strongly suggested that you did. And you want to know how much it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Just I'll help Mike with some estate planning here. I'm um, speaking of kids. Um, uh, I, I don't want to make an announcement here, but my daughter's really excited. She's, uh, she's out of her freshman year at Carolina, uh, at the Dollar school of business, mm-hmm. and she's looking for employment and, and she's going to work Monday with Trafalgar and she's excited that's about that. Cool. I called in a favor, obviously. I mean, that's what parents do from time to time, but I know she'll go and earn her keep. I mean, there's no question in my mind she'll go. So I think she goes to Greenville on Monday um to begin work now she didn't work in greenville i think a lot of this will be done from home remotely but um yeah she'll go to work with um with trafalgar and she is unbelievably excited about this now this is kind of interesting i'll share this with you so um (laughs) i you know i called robert i said robert um lib really enjoys politics you know that you've made an impression on her um is there any summer work i mean i know you're real busy because he's got a lot of contract with save america and I said, I know you're real busy with all these um, campaigns going on around the country. Um, if you need any extra help, she wants to um, she wants to find something to do that kind of excites her and will be fun. He said, absolutely. I mean, we, we need about three or four interns, paid interns right now. And, um, you know, s- send, her, um, send her my way. So I didn't do it for her. I said, hey, tomorrow afternoon, call Robert and you and he make a deal. Uh, I want her to d- kind of negotiate on her own behalf. And I trust Robert. First thing he sends her <laughs> is a non-disclosure. <laughs> oh. Before you, any there's nothing else comes first. And I right. said, and I tried to tell her last night. I said, look, now you're getting in a world now where you're going to hear things that you can't repeat. There will be some things she probably shouldn't say in front of her dad. You better believe it. Um, you better believe it. And um, and I don't want her and to that's breach serious that. Business. That's very serious business. And uh, it's just interesting to me that you know the first thing he <laughs> sends her is not an application. It's not, you know, some sort of a social right. security verification. It's um, a non-disclosure. In other words, um, when we have these meetings and we talk about these things, let's make sure uh, they're off the record. But she's really excited about that. I'm excited for her. And um, I mean, it's probably, when you look at America first, it's probably the preeminent pollster in America when it comes to, you know, where the party is in relation to the America first agenda. Um, that leads me into this next uh, conversation I'm going to have. And I so rudely and abruptly interrupted you uh, a couple of segments ago. I owe you an apology, but I don't even know what I interrupted you about. Um, but I know oh, I did because I got lectured uh, via text oh, really? from someone. Oh, goodness. They said, let the man talk. Damn, you ask him a question. Well, I was trying to answer your and, question. And then, okay, but we're talking about intentionality, intentionality or, of or, or incompetence. And, and the point you were or, trying to make was... Well, well, and, and I would fall on the side of intentionality because, and this is the only... I guess it's a little bit of credit I'll give them. If somebody is truly a believer that that climate change is an existential threat to the planet, then whether whether the if the goal is to save the planet, then these ancillary collateral damages of the economy they don't matter, right? Okay, but in in their mind, is is there is there any damage? I mean, Sam was talking about hyperinflation. I mean, if you lead the country into hyperinflation, you lose. Um, the people's trust, correct? I mean, that's always the dilemma. I've got a political agenda. Can I convince the public that this is the political agenda that is in their best interest? And I think Mitch McConnell blew it yesterday, and I'm glad and happy Tucker Carlson did what he did because McConnell operated 
as a career politician would when he said, everybody knows. Everybody agrees that the most important issue in America today is the Ukrainian-Russian war. I don't know anybody that believes that's the most important issue. Now, if gas was a buck eighty-nine a gallon, there was no federal debt. We had full employment. Um, college cost five thousand dollars a year. You know, everybody had got. Yeah, sure. Then, then, of course, that would be a very, very important issue. But I just think we are so poorly governed, and I think the and here's where I think intentionality comes. I think the more they get us to pay attention to Ukraine and Russia, a little bit of what the Democrats are trying to do now, the more we're paying attention to abortion and we're pitting people against one another, um, the less we're going to be concerned about how ill-governed this country is, how woefully um, inadequate our, our leadership is. So, so yeah, but, but I, I still say it, it doesn't have to be either or. The one thing I think is, I'll give an example. I, we asked a question um, Thursday night at the debate, 7th Congressional Republican primary debate, about infrastructure. And the majority of the concern is tourism. You know, Myrtle Beach, Horry County, uh, fastest growing county in South Carolina, one of the fastest growing counties in America. Guess what you got to do to tourists to get them to come back? They can't sit in traffic for three hours. I mean, they, that, that's a miserable experience. So if a family of uh, five come from Michigan to Myrtle Beach and they sit in traffic for three hours, th- that's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. So for us to continue to benefit from tourism of the dollars it generates, and I'm talking about, I think it's 7 or $8 billion annually in tourism revenue that the state enjoys um, as kind of a surplus. I mean, that, I don't say it's found money because we're investing in uh, the Grand Strand, beach renourishment, some of these other things we're doing to try and make it more appealing, more attractive, a place where more and more people want to visit. Uh, we wanted to bring their visas and MasterCard and American Express when they come. And, you know, the revenue stays in the state. Gas tax, I've told you before. Um, when I used to get the gas tax revenue numbers uh, as presiding officer of the Senate, I could have sworn they're pumping gas into the ocean. I mean, I would always, the number would stagger me. We all benefit from that. But during the conversation, it seemed to me that each candidate had, I mean, obviously they have a rehearsed answer for 73, I-73, which is a um, kind of a, 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 an interstate that leads through some of the Midwest, um, through West Virginia, um, through the, the northeast portion of South Carolina, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the poor and impoverished areas, they say, will benefit. But to me, it's always been either or. It's, it's either 73 or it's not. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think 73 needs to be and. It's 73 and, you know, 501. It's 73 and an expansion of Highway 9. It's 73 and incorporating 95 and 20 and 501 and, and 701. Uh, the Southern Connector, 22, 30. I mean, I think we've got to have a multifaceted approach to um to investing in the infrastructure to allow Horry County and the coast of South Carolina to continue and attract uh, the, the seasonal travelers. But with with intentionality or uh, incompetence, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, I'm not saying it's all incompetence, and I don't think you're saying it's all intentionality. I think there's a convergence where one meets the other, and you would probably define it at, at some point in time, and I would probably define it at another certain point in time. Here's the point I'm trying to make, and I don't disagree with anything Breeze or Joe or you or a lot of others have said about it being intentional. But, but they're not that smart. Trust me. I mean, I, I've told this story. When I became lieutenant governor, I mean, I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplight who was employed in the middle of a metal building in a tobacco field. I mean, who am I 
to go conduct highfalutin politics with the masterminds of South Carolina government. When I get there, I told my chief of staff, hey, man, uh, we got to we got to get our game together. I mean, we're, we're in the tall weeds now. We got to really think about what we're doing, be prepared for whatever comes our way. I mean, these are really smart, smart, dedicated public servants that we're in the, um, the universe of, the orbit of, and let's don't embarrass ourselves. About a month down the road, I remember sitting in my office saying, hey, we might be the smartest two up here. <laughs> so, so I don't believe um, for a second that the people representing us in Washington have some sort of intellectual advantage. I mean, they're probably more ambitious, that they're probably more um, egotistical and narcissistic. Uh, they like the bright lights. They like the importance. They like the um, the, the posse or, you know, or um, uh, entourage. entourage that follows along. I mean, when you see a member of Congress walk through the, the Capitol, you think it's damn Mike Tyson. You know, Tyson used to travel with um, cheetahs and I'm kidding, it, travel <laughs> cheetahs. Um, you know you're rolling big and living large when you declare bankruptcy and you stiff the guy that you bought your cheetah food from, or tiger food, I think it was tiger food, $200,000. Right. <laughs> but how much money do you have to make to afford $200,000 worth of tiger food? So, so when Mike Tyson declares bankruptcy, the guy that he purchases, first of all, you're a, you're a lousy businessman <laughs> to let somebody get two hundred grand behind on tiger food, unless you're feeding the entire safari of tigers. You know, I would imagine two hundred thousand dollars of tiger food, but but no, you know, it's not I seventy three or, and it's not intentionality or. I mean, it, 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 there's an incompetence and there's an intentionality, and I think the convergence of those two is what we're I'm probably in pursuit of. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Morning, fellas. Um, Ken, two things. Number one, your program this morning has made me lean toward Barbara Arthur even more. I, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I just discovered her um, during your um, during your debate, and uh, I'm telling you. <laughs> I think she's she's the American first uh, candidate. The other thing is between Conway and Myrtle Beach on 501, I mean, they need to make it four lanes both ways and put frontage roads and get that local business off that highway and put frontage roads on both sides. Anyway, that's my two cents. Thank you, Jam. Appreciate it. I've always said. I mean, when I when 73 is always debated, I'm not opposed to 73. I mean, I'm on the record. I don't have a vote. I don't appropriate money. Who cares what I say? But I'm not opposed to 73. I am opposed to 73 at the expense of all the other enhancements that I think could help uh, alleviate some of the problems in Orinori County. There's as many lanes of traffic between Conway and Myrtle Beach as there is between Evergreen and Pamplico. I mean, something's wrong there. There's got to be some enhancements, some improvements. I get wetlands mitigation. I understand right-of-ways and imminent do I mean, I understand it's complicated, but are we even making an attempt to enhance some of the um, some of the thoroughfares and roadways leading in to Horry County? And I think the Myrtle Beach um, power, I don't know, the, the, the leadership, the Myrtle Beach power circle have always led me to believe this is all about 73. And I just don't, that's not the angle I'd take. It's 73 and 501, 73 and some of these uh, multiple enhancements that I think we need to make. And I can tell you this, guys, I mean, I, I can hear a lot of people in the upstate. I've heard this from certain senators in the upstate. I don't care how they get to the beach. 
I mean, that's not my problem. Well, it may not be your problem, but we all enormously benefit from the revenue generated by tourism. There's a big debate in South Carolina. What is the biggest economy in our state? Is it agriculture or is it tourism? But it's close. I mean, it really and truly depends on some of the ancillary values of agriculture, forestry, and, and some of the other benefits of tourism. It's hard to define, but they're both enormously important to our state's economy. And I think anything we could do to benefit and advance tourism is a positive. But it doesn't have to, it's not just all about 73. It's 73 and the seven or eight or nine or ten other ideas that I think have been bandied about. And I just wonder how much priority we've given to those seven or eight or nine other things that could alleviate some of the congestion and traffic. Um, it's I mean, it's absurd. I mean, how many of you have been down there, you know, after Memorial Day and before Labor Day? I mean, it is crazy how many people are down there trying to get from point A to point B, and you're trying to get to the grocery store and back, and it takes you an hour and a half to go, you know, a couple of miles. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Ashley in Poston's Corner. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Happy birthday, uh, Royal Rev of Radio. <laughs> Thank you, sir. On your big 5-5. Five five. Um, I was calling. Uh, I got a comment. I got actually got two comments. Uh, one, uh, Miss Tammy is going to be just pure fed up with politics between Libby working for Trafalgar Group and you on the radio every morning. She's going to be fed up with politics. She just drinks stuff. a lot. She started drinking <laughs> a lot about 10 years ago, and I think that's the way she deals with it. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, I, I feel like there is a movement. Um, I went to a local, uh, uh, just a local convenience store, just to buy some things the other day, and uh, th- there was some people I knew were staunch Democrats are just moving hard away from Biden, and they said it publicly, and they wouldn't have said that otherwise. I mean, staunch Democrats, and I think that the Republicans are we're, we're finally waking up to the Lindsey Grahams, to uh, the Mitt Romneys. And I've said in the past, those kind of fo- folks, they're playing Alabama when Alabama didn't have Nick Saban. And it reminds me of a Bible verse. If you need a hot or cold, I'll spit you out. And I think that's where the Republican Party is with these rhinos. And I'll take it off there. Fellas. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, watching MSNBC this morning because we heard – that the question Rice gave to um, our audience and our uh, both in person and over the airwaves uh, was broadcast this morning on MSNBC, and they said, "I think that Rice was a guest. Uh, I would imagine Morning Joe." It's it a, is, a panel discussion. It's a panel discussion uh, of how how great his answer was. Is but what but, I was but I mean, it, it's on MSNBC. I mean, right. that that tells you all you need to know about you know who wanted to hear that answer and how that answer was received in certain circles. Um, that answer probably doesn't go over real well on Fox News or conservative talk radio i'm certainly entitled to explain himself to whatever audience he chooses is appropriate but um i mean i and i think this is where breeze is all over it i mean i think this is where breeze is exactly right we've got to wrestle away control and leadership of the republican party from um i'm watching msnbc max boot i mean max boot for most of his life had considered himself a republican he's an establishment um globalist I mean, he happened to fall in line with Republicanism because that probably was the the best way for him to advance a career. But Max Boot, George Bush, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Mitch McConnell, all of these guys are globalist. They're establishment globalists. They have no interest in the Republican Party being ch- challenger 
to the status quo forces that have dominated American politics um, ever since Romney got there, ever since McConnell got there. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners are critical of Lindsey Graham. And if I'm going to be critical of Senator Graham, that, that, that's why I'd be critical. I think Lindsey at his heart, and I think he's sincere. He believes this establishment globalist ideology is the way forward. I don't. I just don't buy that for a second. And I think trying to wrestle that away is going to require not not putting your, your bullseye. I don't mean literally, guys. I'm talking figuratively here. I don't want to be like Sarah Palin and be, uh, you know, chastised by the FCC. Let me rephrase that. Um, uh, placing your anger toward and your resentment toward Democrats. I mean, the Democrats are exactly who you expected them to be once Obama got elected. They're radical. They're liberal. They're socialist. Um, that's who they are. They make no bones about that. They don't disguise themselves as anything other than that. For a long time, they had to lie to the country and say we're centrist. I mean, Obama ran in 08 as somebody who uh, was opposed to gay marriage. I mean, imagine that 14 years ago, Barack Obama, who was probably the most liberal president we've ever elected, ran on uh, opposing same-sex marriage. But the Democrats are out there now. that They believe they've uh, indoctrinated enough of America's uh, population via the media and academia and some of these other forces that they can be who they are. What we've got to do is is cleanse our party of those who just don't buy in to this this America first agenda. I mean, the, the, the war is over. I mean, McConnell's still minority leader. I mean, imagine this. The, the, the probably the most anti-America first senator in Washington is still the minority leader. Why? I mean, if two thirds of the voters have declared or identified themselves as America first Republicans, why is an anti-America firster the top ranking um, senator in the minority party? It makes no sense. Somebody's got to wrestle that charge uh, control away. Josh Hawley, Rand Paul, they should be minority leader. That's what the people want. But Washington has a weird way of, of just simply not listening to what the people want. Mitch McConnell once again said, we all agree that Ukraine and Russia is the most important and pressing issue for all Americans. Very few Americans agree to that. Very few. But he's still in a position of leadership. And along with that comes advancing an agenda or creating, in his case, kind of a minority resistance to what the Democrats want to do. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Thanks for holding on, Mike. Oh, sure. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. But uh, the uh, I, I can, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, 73 is a sideshow and a distraction, and that's a big, colorful thing. Uh, the problem with the local roads needs to have priority. But we're not going to have to worry about that too much for too much longer if uh, the Democrats get their way and uh, the rhino Republicans get their way. We're not going to have enough fuel to get down to the beach. And if we get there, we won't be able to drive back and forth up 17. So that's uh, that 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 problem's going to solve itself. Is this thing intentional? It's absolutely intentional, of course. Anyone with any economic sense at all could see when they started dumping that money and cutting production. See, they could have dumped a bunch of money. If it had been Trump, he could have dumped some money into the system. He did. But he, he was producing. He was producing. He was he was cutting down regulations, uh, getting the uh, oil industry and energy industry on its feet. 
and going, and they produce goods, and they produce something that's used in everything we touch, whether it's clothing, shelter, or food. They all go back to energy. So uh, it's intentional. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. I want I want to clarify because Mike said something a second ago. I, I don't think seventy three is a sideshow by any stretch. I've just always interpreted. Maybe this is my misinterpretation, um, but it's always appeared to me, Reb, that the folks at the beach. Here I am being generally the, the the I'm talking. I'm speaking in generalities. Please forgive me, but the the leadership of the beach has always led me to believe that it's I-73 or bust. You know, it's all about 73. Maybe that's my misinterpretation. Maybe I'm hearing something that I want to hear, not hearing something I don't want to hear, but it sounded to me like for many, many years, it's all about 73. I would I would be a supporter for 73 if I better understood it, probably. I mean, I led a delegation when I was Lieutenant Governor of Washington, and we lobbied um, the Transportation Secretary. I went with uh, the Chamber of Commerce, Brad Dean, was president of the Chamber of Commerce, and I mean, I had a lot of connections to that group, and um, they were very kind and and supportive of my campaign. And um, so, as a statewide office holder, I went to Washington uh, on behalf of seventy three. But I remember getting back and talking to people down there. Is it is it seventy three and nothing else? Because it seemed to me, and once again, this is my interpretation, that the the marketing and the political angle was, uh, you know, we're, we're not as concerned about anything else. And, and I just, I mean, they, they made improvements, 22, 31, Highway 9's being enhanced, uh, but but in some of the main thoroughfare, 501. I mean, I think there's something that has to happen with 501, uh, so some of the way to get people at the southern end of the beach. I think 22 has really helped. I mean, you get to, um, you get to Aner and, and you get on 22 and you're in North Myrtle Beach before you know it. But how do you get to the southern end? How do you get to Surfside and Garden City and Merle's Inlet and Pauly's Island? It's still complicated. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, I go about every weekend. I mean, it's uh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's almost impossible to get there from here. Um, but you do it. Um, coming through Conway, you know, I think 22 alleviated some of the congestion coming through Conway, but it's still bumper to bumper. And I'm not talking about the summer months. Uh, it can be, you know, uh, November 22nd and it's bumper to bumper in Conway. It's just a, it, it's, it's not a resort destination anymore. It's that and uh, a coastal urban area. There are a lot of people live there uh, 365 all year. It's not seasonal any longer. Obviously there's a big increase post Memorial day, pre labor day, but, but Horry County's crowded 12 months a year. W- what sort of infrastructure enhancements are on the table to address that the combination of people who live there and the people who visit there. And so I want to make it, I'm not opposed to 73. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether or not I have misinterpreted. So some of the sales pitch, um, it, it, well, again, it, it's almost, it, it sounded to me like it's been 73 or bust. And I think there are a lot of other things that we could concentrate on. Um, why does, I mean, why couldn't we have, uh, well, I mean, it's be almost impossible now. Is there a way to bypass Conway and get to the southern end of Myrtle Beach? Is that's on the table? Well, what happens, and I've talked to people at, um, at the Department of Transportation and at um, at our state. Well, it's not Department of Transportation. What is it in South Carolina? It's Department of Transportation in South Carolina. But I've talked to people at the federal level about you know the southern evacuation route. And when you get to, it's kind of weird here. I'll give you a, a quick geography lesson. 
north of 501, you're not dealing with a lot of wetlands. When you go south of 501 and you get down uh, into Georgetown County, you get into what they call the low country. I mean, there, there's a lot of wetlands. There's a lot of marsh. There's a lot of things that are challenging, far more challenging than the north end of the beach. And, and so anybody familiar with that area, most of us are. Is it because it's hard to construct there or because it's like protected well, let me types prote- of land? Yeah, but it's just a lot of mitigation. I mean, a lot of things you got, a lot of hoops you got to jump through to build a bridge or build a road or encounter certain wildlife or certain, um, you know, natural elements that, that have to be respected. I'm not saying that we should build a road, you know, through the marsh. I think all of those should be respected. And in all honesty, it's kind of it's God's ecosystem. I mean, it's the way he designed some of these things. You said you saw yesterday a house floating out of the ocean in the in uh, North in, Carolina. In North Carolina. Um, and does that mean climate change is the climate alarmist are right and the ocean's rising? Uh, I think the ocean's rising. I don't know how much human activity is contributing to that. I don't think they know. They, they profess to know. I mean, I'll admit the ocean's rising. I think there's enough evidence to show that. But, but is human activity really contributing to that, or is this natural cycles uh, of the climate? See, we get hung up on 50-year cycles. I mean, the, you know, the planet, depending on what you believe, has been somewhere um, millions of years or billions of years, depending on which um, version you believe. Uh, there's this new earth that says it's uh, a couple of thousand years old, uh, 6,000 years old. I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, I, you know, I don't, think, um, I don't think old earth philosophy and Christianity are mutually exclusive of one another. I think there are a lot of questions that lie within the minutia of that. But, uh, but, but no, I mean, I think the ocean is rising. And I think you got to be respectful of the, 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 the natural cycles that happen year after year. Um, I mean, I don't know that we should think about a million years down the road. But, but if, if, you know, if I'm a Christian, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to still be here in a million years or somebody will be doing the best they can. Will oceanfront homes be in Florence by then? I don't know. Don't have any idea. But we know we find, you know, shark's teeth and, and, uh, and you know, residue from the ocean uh, in Chiral and uh, Camden and other places. So we know the world has gone through and the earth has gone through tremendous fundamental changes. Um, but I don't know that when I think of thinking long, I don't know that politicians need to be taking about a million years down the road. Um but we don't need to be thinking about, you know, the day after tomorrow either. And uh, when I see that, that house slide off into the ocean, I, I just think about, you know, you encroach too far. I mean, you built the house too close to the ocean. Um, it's kind of interesting. In the Pauley's Island, Litchfield area, they respected, for whatever reason, um, the, na- the, the natural um, sand dunes. You know, the, the oceanfront house in Pauley's Island would be second or third row in Garden City. You know, at Garden City, it's like, can we build right there? Um, well, the tide's going to touch your house. Only on full moons. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we, we call them uh, real estate cowboys. Uh, only on the full moon, and, I, and I'll make it treated lumber. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll put concrete down, or I'll do whatever it is. Um, and we've aggressively encroached upon our coast. I mean, we just really have. We've constructed closer and closer and closer to the ocean, and I think every now and then, God reminds us in not so friendly a way who the boss is. And when you see that house kind of floating off into the ocean, all I can think about is I don't think of climate change. I don't think of the oceans rising. I think if somebody built a damn house too close to the ocean. And I think there are many, many, many houses that are built far too close to the ocean. And I think one day God will reclaim what he believes is rightfully his. 
I don't think he desires to destroy your house, but he set up the ecosystem to operate a certain way. I mean, in New Orleans, what happened in Katrina? I mean, we re- were we re- are we really surprised that at some point in time, a city constructed below sea level was going to have a, um, a dramatic flood? Really? I mean, we're all surprised. The levees didn't work, and this didn't work, and we got to redesign this. And You build a city below <laughs> sea level that has multiple millions of people calling it home. I mean, one day... There's going to be a cataclysmic weather event where we're, we're all going to kind of say, well, that's pretty dumb. I mean, why did we do that? And I, I just got to believe in North Carolina, somebody's scratching their head today saying, probably built that house too close to the ocean. Probably shouldn't have built it <laughs> quite so close uh, to the ocean. I believe you're right. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Today's show is probably the most evident example of things that we talk about over the airways. I mean, we're proud of this. Seinfeld professes to be a show about nothing. We argue that we're a show about everything. And I think this morning we have gone all over the place. I mean, it's been from tourism and what roads we need to build or not, who's leading the America First movement, abortion, uh, diesel, shor- diesel shortage shortages, coming. baby food, uh, baby formula shortages. I'm sorry. Uh, what's the difference in baby food and baby formula? Both are well, food, right? Yeah. Well, Nutrition. When I, think, when I think of baby food, it's like the ground up peas. And okay. And the little Gerber pears, bottles, right. the little Gerber glass right. cans. Okay. That's good. That's kind of what I yeah. feel the and same way. Formulas. But like they're both nutrition. Yeah. Does, 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 does the formula have something in it that the food doesn't that the baby needs to sustain themselves? Good question. Not sure. <laughs> and I don't know the answer yeah. to that. Some mom out there may or some dude out there may who um, works in that business or, or sector of the economy. You know, I want to go in the next hour. We got one more hour after a few moments here in this hour um, to, to really go down. If we were building a dream team, I want to go back to Breeze for a second. I love referring to our callers because you had such value to the show. If we go back to Breeze and Breeze said, the first thing we've got to do is is find our soul. You know, let's, I mean, the Democrats are, you know, they're doing what they're doing, but they, they make, they're not sheep in wolves clothing. I mean, they're wolves and wolf closing now. I mean, they're telling you exactly. They voted yesterday on a bill, and only one Democrat didn't vote for the bill. And the bill included, um, basically, it would guarantee abortion excess from the time a woman gets pregnant to the time she has the baby. I mean, in essence, we can we can mince words. You know, we can go through the evaluate what this definition of is is. But but in essence, the bill was going to give a woman um, a kind of a national right, a legislated right to have an abortion at any point or points in times uh, prior to fetal viability. Uh, We've had a debate on this show about fetal viability, but once that fetus was viable, uh, you you may designate one time, I may designate another time, but a woman seeking abortion services was going to be allowed to have an abortion up until the day before uh, the baby was born. Uh, That's the... Is that the MAGA extreme or ultra extreme agenda? No, that would be the Democrats. See, when you're extreme, the best thing you can do is call the other side extreme. I mean, if you're a little bit crazy and you're arguing with somebody, what what is the what is the argument? Well, they're crazy. Well, no, you're crazier than they are. And I think when you when you try to paint somebody as extreme and radical, like Biden does with the, the MAGA movement and the America Firsters, and then you introduce a bill, uh, I mean, you call it something: the Women's Health Protection Act. I mean, it's the Killing Babies Act is what it should be called. I'm not apologizing. Somebody, a Democrat friend of mine, texted me and said, you got to stop saying that. I mean, no Democrat wants to kill babies. I think it's accurate. Of course it is. It's absolutely 100% accurate. They celebrate 
killing babies. Every Democrat but Joe Manchin voted for a bill yesterday that would give a woman the right to have an abortion up until the moment the baby is born. In fact, as part of this legislation, there's language about sex-selective abortion that would um, allow a pregnancy to be terminated um, because someone's having a girl and the boy's desired, or somebody's having a boy and a girl is desired. I mean, that's sick. That's demented. That's evil. That's godless. Forget radical and extreme. I mean, those are kind of sort of complimentary words. Uh, the, the least of concerns on, on issues like this is radical and extreme. I mean, that's political terminology and, and kind of um, a coach speak when it comes to politics. No, this is evil and wicked and godless. And every Democrat except Joe Manchin of West Virginia, why doesn't the guy just switch parties? I mean, why didn't Manchin just say enough of this nonsense? I'm in West Virginia. I probably have more in common with Republicans today than I did or ever have in my life. I didn't leave the party. What's the old speech? I didn't leave the party. The party left me. I mean, he's kind of got an easy out. Just do it and become a Republican. Um, Bob Casey uh, of uh, Pennsylvania uh, basically said, I'm pro-life, but I'm voting for the bill. No, you're not pro-life. But if you voted for this bill, stop telling me that you're pro-life. Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, I mean, you know, you, you take your Catholicism lightly. I mean, it's hard to believe. You know, when you look at uh, different demographics within the country, the two people who oppose um, uh, abortion, white evangelicals, and, and, you know, those who call themselves or profess to be Catholics. I mean, that's the two subsets within the electorate that oppose abortion rights more than anybody. Casey uh, prefaces his vote by saying, I am a pro-life Catholic, but I'm voting for a bill that allows a woman to have a, an abortion anytime she chooses post-viability pre-delivery. In fact, if a woman wants a boy and it's a girl, they're allowed you know, sex-selective abortions. I mean, the absurdity of that, and that's insulting, and it's not extreme and radical. It's evil. It's wicked. I mean, let's stop being complimentary by using those political speak words, and let's call it what it actually is. So, so if you are a pro-life Catholic, vote like a pro-life Catholic. But your debt of, you know, your, your, your obligation debt is owed to who? Not the Catholic Church, but the Democrat Party, the radical, extreme Democrat Party. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 661 2 plus 2 equals 4. Plus 4 plus 4 equals 8. 8 and 8 16. 16 is 32. 64. Okay. Um, 51 is more than 49. Correct? Yes. I mean, the, the Women's Health Reproduction um, Act, the Kill Babies Act, got voted down yesterday 51-49, or failed 49-51. There, that's a better way to say it. It failed uh, to get the majority 49-51. It was a cloture vote, procedural vote. All that is is to allow the full body uh, to vote on the bill and um, didn't even get the votes to, to get it on the floor. Uh, Elizabeth Warren um, of Indian descent uh, said... <laughs> High cheekbones. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, yeah. She of high cheekbones said um, that, I mean, I, I want to play this and I want to try to understand it. I, I, maybe I need some help. Maybe I'm missing something. I, I've said it before. I may misinterpret, you know, the language used by the Myrtle Beach crowd on I-73. I could be easily guilty of that. Um, sometimes I hear things the way I want to hear things. I know I'm the only one that does that, uh, but I do. And I just wondered if there's something I missed about Elizabeth Warren when she gave her uh, explanation of what happened yesterday. So let's play this, and then let's try to understand the math behind it. So, hmm. I mean, she votes in the minority, 
Right. She was one of 49 senators who voted for uh, the Women's Health Reproduction Act, Kill Babies Act, and 51 voted against. So where does she come up with this, um, <laughs> the tyranny of the minority? Because I guess she thinks the Democrats are the majority, well, I mean, so the Demo- they should be able to... Well, I mean, technically, the Democrats are the majority. It's well, a tie, they've got, right? They've got 50 senators, and they got a Democrat vice president who we would expect at any, right. uh, at any tie would come over and... You know, kind of get the Democrats across the finish so line. So somebody who is a declared Democrat is not allowed to vote again. I mean, against something she wants. I mean, I, I don't mean, understand her. She what she's is saying, saying that the the minority does not have the right because the majority did win the vote. Right? Sure, fifty one is a majority. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. The majority won the vote. What is your what is your complaint? I mean, it's obvious what the complaint is. Things didn't go her way, and you know, Manchin is a pro. I guess pro life West Virginia senator who um, voted against the cloture that would allow the bill to advance. And I mean, I just, it's the most absurd argument, but I mean, she makes absurd argument after absurd argument after absurd argument. Um, I, I just, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, this lady, and and here's where I get back to intentionality or incompetence. And, and we're watching, we got on MSNBC this morning because we heard Tom Rice was on MSNBC and want to kind of catch up on, uh, you know, the, the answer he gave at our debate, I mean, if our debate's going to be on, and I'm talking about y'all's debate, if the debate's going to be on national uh, broadcast, that'd be kind of exciting for us here at this feeble attempt at Radio Brigance. But, um, I mean, 51 beats 49 every time. So what is her complaint? Well, here's where I go into the world of incompetence. As we've had it on MSNBC, and we have this star uh, all-star panel, you know, sitting around a table discussing whatever the issues are. They're talking about Moscow now, uh, suggested may try to annex uh, Kherson in uh, in Ukraine. So um, they've got a professor from Princeton, and they've got a um, a medical expert from Johns Hopkins, and they've got the a member of the editorial board of the New York Times, and um, they've got an associate from NBC News. So they're all having this real advanced debate and dialogue about whatever the issues are, whether it's abortion. And 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 Scarborough says because the lady from the New York Times, she's on the editorial board. Um, She's a woman of color. Uh, that means that she perfectly suits what the New York Times in the name of diversity. Uh, I don't know if she's smart enough. Don't have any idea how qualified she is. But she's a member of the editorial board, and that's kind of her subtitle on television. So she, they began to talk about uh, the polling and abortion and, and women turnout. You know, the woman, women turn out in 2016 and women turn out in 2018 and 20 and 22 and what we can expect in, in 24. And they're trying to gin up. Uh, momentum by saying that this abortion issue, the Republicans better be real careful about infringing upon a woman's rights because the uh, the abortion issue polls a certain way. Well, Roe in general, I mean, people in general are supportive of Roe, but, but only about 23% of America know that Roe probably violates constitutional authority. I mean, very few people go down that far, go that far down that road. If you asked half of America what Roe v. Wade is, they'd look at you like, uh, did it come on last night or tomorrow night? I mean, that's the reality. That's the stark reality of where we live. But but Scarborough was kind of interesting. We turned it up a second. And Scarborough said, um, well, they agree with Roe in general. Uh, and, and when you speak about you know Roe v. Wade in general terms, the country's kind of divided. And maybe, just maybe, a slight majority support Roe v. Wade. Now, I would argue that the slight majority supports Roe v. Wade because they don't want no trouble. And trouble means we got to overturn this thing and they'll have protest at, at judges' houses. And, you know, that's actually a violation of federal law, you know, to try right. and intimidate or change 
uh, the proceedings of legal matters. But uh, uh, I think Jen Section Psaki 15 the other day uh, said they support well, I mean, protesting they, outside. But that's because Justice's that's in homes. the Constitution, and they don't care much for the Constitution. Oh. I think the Section 15 that's not constitutional; it's code of law. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, don't hold me. The Section 1307 or 1507 basically says um, you absolutely have a right to assemble. I mean, no question about it. But when your assemblage and the intent of your assembling is to intimidate, you know, um, the judiciary into changing its mind or adopt some new, um, in other words, it would be like jury tampering in some way, shape, or form, um, similar to that. But I want to go back to Scarborough because Scarborough said something very interesting. He said to the uh, to the lady of color from the New York Times editorial board that the country's kind of divided, but the majority of Americans in general terms, support Roe v. Wade. And then Joe says, yeah, but if you start really getting into the nuances of abortion law and what the Democrats want to do, the polling, and his, I wish you could see me do this, is he said the polling goes, I mean, it, it tanks. Down. Well, what Joe's basically saying is once you start telling people the truth and they know that you want to kill babies at eight months and they know that you want to have sex-selective abortion, people, I mean, normal people get kind of turned off by that. So when you read that there's a bill failed yesterday, 4951, 49 is less than 51, Senator Warren. Um, I guess maybe Native Americans count differently than <laughs> than normal Americans. Um, maybe in Native American land, 49 is more than 51, and the majority didn't win. Native American. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but when you hear, when the casual consumer political news hears that the Women's Health Protection Act failed, they have that's all they comprehend they have no idea what is in the bill now now i want to, I want to tell you some of what's in the bill i, I don't want to go into great detail because it'll confuse you and confuse me but but in essence um remember the days that bill clinton said that abortion should be and i think this was a, a political explanation but very commonsensical legal safe and rare or actually safe legal and rare were his words who's for i mean i don't care if you're for abortions or not I mean, let's say you're anti-abortion, but but you still agree that we're never going to completely outlaw abortions in America, correct? I mean, even the most staunch pro-lifer believes that there's going to be an abortion tomorrow in America somewhere under some condition. Can we agree that if that's the case, we want it to be safe? We want it to be legal. And obviously, we'd like it to be rare. So the Clinton position uh, what I'll refer to as, I think I've heard it explained this way. I don't know who said it, but it, the artful framing that Bill Clinton gave mm-hmm. the abortion debate, safe, legal, and rare. Um, but that's ancient history, guys, when it comes to today's Democrats. I mean, th- they're not interested in safe, legal, and rare. Um, they want to guarantee abortion access at any point or points during a woman's pregnancy. Um, they'll argue fetal viability. Because that's the great question. When does life begin? Nobody really knows. We have all these advanced opinions. Some opinions are more informed than others. But nobody really and truly knows when. um, I mean, if God's the giver of life, he knows. We've contemplated and tried to understand. But but none of us really know. But but here's the kicker in this legislation. And actually highlighted an article from the uh, Wall Street Journal who don't use the words radical much. I mean, the Wall Street Journal editorial board does not use the word radical a lot. But here's the title of the article, Schumer's Radical Abortion Bill. And the reason it's radical is because 
women who seek these services um, will not be asked to disclose the patient's um, reason. You know, when you go to, a, to an abortion clinic, why do you want to have this abortion? I mean, there's counseling services available, um, mental, uh, emotional. The, you know, what, health is going to be reconsidered. I mean, health is not, we talk about the health and, li- health and life of the mother. Well, we're, we're basically recalibrating what health means, and we're including uh, mental, we're including emotional, and we're including familial factors. In other words, um, I've got this family issue. I've got this, this situation, um, and that creates basically a loophole that allows uh, elective abortions more or less through all nine months of the pregnancy. At any point in time you want one, you can go to the doctor and say, I'm mentally depressed, and I think it's because I'm pregnant. I'm emotionally anxious, and I think it's because I'm pregnant. Um, I've got this situation at home with my daughter. My daughter's not adjusted well to my telling her that she's going to have a baby sister. I mean, guys, this is radical. I mean, this is unbelievably radical, and the way some leftists have tried to legitimize this is just fundamentally dishonest. So when Scarborough says the polling goes down, that's why the polling goes down. If Democrats are ever made to define and explain themselves, define their positions and explain themselves on abortion, it would be less than 20%. I mean, it really would because I think about 80% of us are good and decent and have some moral compass about us. Uh, We probably have a lot of disagreements, but I think most of us would say that, you know, going to an abortion provider and saying, I want to have this abortion because my daughter at home hadn't adjusted well to the fact that I'm pregnant. I mean, that's the rationale. That's the reason. But, but the language in the bill says that. I mean, when you, and it's very vague, uh, mental, emotional, or familiar factors. I mean, that's, that's, that's very <sighs> sketchy and broad-reaching. Um, the legislation also exempts uh, itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Remember some of the Hobby Lobby lawsuits? Um, uh, the, the, uh, the conscious protection or the conscious objection. There you go. The conscious objection that Hobby Lobby had to providing um, an insurance policy that included a woman going to get an abortion. I mean, Hobby Lobby is uh, a devoutly Christian-based company, and they just believed uh, for religious reasons that their health care provider they didn't need to be paying for a benefit that contradicted their religious beliefs and fundamental um, life philosophy. And uh, the court sided with Hobby Lobby. And, and Hobby Lobby does not have to. They, they can exempt. Their, in other words, if you work at Hobby Lobby and you want to have an abortion, it's on you. Uh, their insurance company is not going to pay for that. And that's kind of a, um, that's a conscious objection to what they were doing. Um, but but the, the issue with abortion, and I want to do this with Reb. If you don't mind, I mean, I've got some things written down here. Uh, let me find this where I had it written. I wrote it down a couple of days ago, and I knew I was going to go back to it at some point in time. Uh, bear with me. Uh, here we go. Here we go. I want to get your take on this because it's your birthday. It's your oh. birthday present from me. Oh, thanks. I mean, everybody in the studio is giving him everything. Mean, he's got donuts and bags <laughs> and uh, biscuits, and I mean, I'm sitting here hungry, but I do have my life water. Thank you, Pepsi kind. of Florence, for the life water. <laughs> But let's make a bigger deal out of Rev's birthday for the next 43 minutes if we possibly can. Please. Um, yeah. So here, birthday hey, and, boy. And full disclosure, you know, people like to bring you and offer you a biscuit or something in the morning, and you generally won't partake. I mean, you've got you got your, ske- your eating schedule, I right? Do. I do. So you've, they learn not to even try to 
offer you anymore. So, Correct. And, and they're very kind to me, and I appreciate it. I don't eat anything from 8 in the evening until noon uh, today. I mean, that's kind of, I do intermittent fasting, and it works yeah. for me. Uh, people say it's weird, it's crazy, you don't need to do it. I, maybe I'm not, but but it works for me. I've got a five-pound window that I stay in. Uh, when I get, went to get my evaluation for life insurance, and the lady said, how much do you weigh? And I said, you talking about Monday or Friday? <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? I said, for 10 years, I've weighed a certain thing on Monday and another thing on Friday. What do you mean by that? I said, I gain about two and a half pounds on the weekend, and I lose that two and a half pounds back during the week. Uh, I'm kind of in weight-sustaining mode. Uh, you were talking about donuts a second ago, mm-hmm. and I said, I'll eat, I mean, I'm serious, I'll eat a dozen donuts and a half gallon of ice cream Saturday and Sunday, but I don't touch it during the week. I mean, it works for me. I, I've got a little system that I built. I go to the gym five days a week. Uh, I don't go on Saturday and Sunday. I live like a glutton on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> uh, donuts, ice cream, cheesecake, um, and, and watching that race, uh, it's it's kind of heaven on earth as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Maybe a Bud Light Lime or 10? Yeah, 20. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of got this Blue Moon Summer blend that, that I'm a little bit, yeah. um yeah, it's got a tangerine peely taste to it. There you go. Uh, designer beer is what I call it. My buddies call it flavored water because it's only got like 80 calories and it's got, you know, it's got um a dab of alcohol, just a little bit. You got to drink 300 to get drunk. Uh, and if you're going to drink, why not get drunk? So I drink 300. Anyway, um <laughs> So happy birthday. To Thank you. Are you ready here? So 3% of, uh, excuse me, 0.3%, three tenths of 1% is, is, is I mean, when, who knows what the real number is, but a lot of research has been done here. So um, three tenths of 1% of, uh, of abortions end because a woman or, or take place because a woman was raped. 0.003, of 1% is incest. So rape, incest, I don't have a stat on life of the mother, but rape and incest hardly ever happen. I mean, most abortions because women want to have an abortion. Um, so about 99.5% of all the abortions in America are because a woman wants to have that abortion for whatever reason. Um, we, we try to talk about some of the reasoning uh, a second ago, but I want to ask you this. This is interesting nuances that I want to bring up. And I wrote a list here because um, I'm weird like this. You ready? contraceptives failure rate i mean does that add anything to the Hmm. dynamic i mean it's still an abortion i mean i I would agree with exemptions for rape incest life of the mother i am pro-life i'm what i'm not purely pro-life because i do agree that if a woman is raped she has a right to make that decision if someone has incest a woman has a right to make that decision if her life is in imminent danger a woman has a right to make that decision I'm sorry, guys, that doesn't make me pro-choice. I am 99.99999% pro-life, uh, and the numbers show that. Right. Three-tenths of 1% rape, three-one-thousandth of 1% incest. such a, a incest. real rare occurrence. So, so Thank ma- goodness. You're right. So I'm not absolute pro-life, and some of you don't like that, but I'm pretty close. I'm real close. Let's, let's consider and contemplate this. Contraceptives failure rate is about one half, excuse me, about one and one half percent. Should or should not that be looked at differently when it comes to abortions, Mr. Birthday Boy? I know you got a full stomach, so don't blame it on being hungry right. and a little bit addled. Um, but, is, know, it a wor- is, is it a worthy consideration? I, so, so, and the reason you're looking at it as, as a 
different and potential worthy considerations well, I mean, because it, the intention was to, sure, to not get pregnant. Right. I mean, you took measures but, to not get pregnant. The, the contraception failed. The woman got pregnant. Uh, is that any different than rape? Or, sure we are. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about baby with rape. I mean, the baby didn't ask to be, oh, be so conceived difficult. in a rape. I mean, the right. baby didn't ask to be yep, conceived no. in incest. I mean, the baby didn't ask to be conceived to a woman who's having some sort of medical complication that may lead to her death. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, it, 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 the, the baby is the baby is the baby. And if you believe that life begins at conception, it begins at conception whether someone was raped, whether there was incest, whether there were, right. wh- whether it does involve the life of the mother. But, but these are very humanistic challenges. And yeah. this is where the consciousness comes into play. This is where we all struggle and grapple, or I hope we do. I don't think we grapple enough. I think America needs to struggle fundamentally with some of these issues far more than we're willing to because it, it requires scratching your head a touch, and it requires a serious consideration of what is or is not. Um, but contraceptive failure rate is something I considered. I mean, I wrote a list of things that I think deserve fetus is totally damaged. I mean, that, that's a complication. That, right. That's a serious um, partner infidelity or abandonment. I mean, if someone gets a, a woman pregnant and just bails, just leaves, don't know who they are, where they're from, one of these one-night um, inebriated rendezvous, I'm not, I'm not defending it. I'm certainly not defending it. Um, but, but when someone gets pregnant in that situation and the father abandons, you don't know who they are, uh, and I get the point. I mean, I, I can hear the church crowd now. Shouldn't have done it to begin with. Okay, you shouldn't have. We do a lot of stuff we shouldn't do. We make a lot of mistakes in our life. Um, or, or maybe I'm just the only one that makes these um, these sorts of mistakes. Uh, we all do, guys. Living gets messy. And the majority of mess in our lives is self-inflicted. I mean, in, in all honesty, we do stupid things and we end up in stupid places and we have to make consequential decisions because of it. But, but when I look at... Um, contraceptive failure rate, that there was an intent there to not get pregnant. When I look at the fetus is totally damaged or fatally damaged, wow. I mean, that's real, real complicated. Partner infidelity and abandonment, to me, not quite as complicated as the fetus being totally damaged or fatally damaged or the uh, contraceptive failure rate. Um, and, and then, I mean, I've got them kind of, uh, i got them degreed here, so to speak. And the last is pregnancy initially wanted, but um, but things have changed. I mean, that that's you see what I tried to do there. Yeah. I tried to go from rape incest to contraceptive failure rate, um, to fetus is totally damaged to partner infidelity or abandonment to pregnancy initially wanted. Uh, the slippery slope. Where, where is the line? We we all have one. Where's yours? Where's mine? I've already gone on the air. I believe that a woman should have a right to choose if they're raped or a victim of incest or their life is in threat. If a doctor says you have this baby, there's a better than 75% chance you die. The woman, I didn't say the woman should have the abortion. The woman deserves the right to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to a little more controvers- contraceptive failure rate. I didn't intend to get pregnant, but you did. But you did. But I did everything I was supposed to to keep from getting pregnant. But you did. Now, you, you see where I'm headed. I mean, these things yeah. are, and, and this is the debate that I think we need to have. Now, the left's not going to have this debate because, once again, they have no problem with killing babies. All the way. All the way. For any reason. From, 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 from uh, viability to 
delivery. I mean, that's kind of the way they want it. That's where they've landed. Uh, I got chastised a couple of weeks ago when the news broke about the um, the leaked opinion uh, by uh, you know left of center listener who is a little bit sanctimonious and and um, and kind of questioned my motivation. Well, I mean, I think we've ended up exactly where I said we would. I mean, the left has, has celebrated, you know, the the right for a woman to kill that baby after even Which carrying that baby to almost full term. To your point, a long way from Bill Clinton's safe, legal, and rare. And a long way from this necessary debate that I think we can have on the conservative side of American politics. Take a break. Back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Rev says all this rape, incest, contraceptive failure rate, fetus being fatally damaged, partner infidelity, pregnancy initially wanted, uh, but things have changed. Rev says that is so complicated. He's siding with the Democrats. No, I, mean, he's I did just, not you know, say that. He's no. just, he can't. I mean, he doesn't want to think that much, doesn't want no. to consider that much. Guys, American politics is hard. It's intended to be hard. We've made it too damn easy. Well, I like, we've made I, it. We've made it too easy to choose a side and say, "Okay, I'm with them," or "I'm with them." We owe it to ourselves, and I really believe this is where we, the people, have done a great disservice to America's history and past and days gone by. We've not given our political um, work the the necessary consideration because the issues aren't easy. No. I mean, they're difficult, and I like what you just did there. With, with I mean, it makes you think. It makes anybody who has and thinks they know where what their position is, and I'm sure there's people that are very settled in their position, obviously. Uh, but I mean, when you kind of scale it, you're, you're working from one extreme to another. That makes you think. You know, where is your line? And I think what it's, are you comfortable? Well, I mean, with? I'll tell you this. Um, let's be candid for a second. It's easy for me to judge where your line should be than it is to impose my own. Sure. I mean, it's easy if Rev comes to me and says, hey, man, you're not going to believe what happened to my daughter. Um, she's 20 years old. Um, she got raped. Uh, she, we're, we're pro-life. We're struggling with this. I could, I could give you counsel easy there. Um, you know, when we start getting to contraceptives, failure rate, fetuses, I mean, that's when I'd say, Rev, look, man, I'll pray with you, and I'll love on you, and I'll care about you, and I, I promise you I will be there for you. But ultimately, that's a, that's a decision you've got to make. I can't make that decision for you. And the point I'm trying to make here is abortion is life or death. I mean, it really is. It's a life or death issue. We often say, this isn't life or death. Well, it is. I mean, this is yeah, this absolutely is. life or death. We just don't treat it that way. And I think there's so many important issues in American politics that we have just such a kind of a passive consideration to. And it's really why we're so poorly governed. I mean, if people knew, if, if the people in power knew that we were uh, informed and diligent and prepared and committed and aware, they would do a better job. We, the people, th- this is, I mean, if we're going to find our soul or revisit our, our fundamental belief system, it's not going to be a top-down movement. I mean, this is going to be a bottom-up movement led by kind of rank-and-file good and decent people who understand and appreciate how lucky they are to live in this country. Let's go to the phone. Here's Don in Mullins. Hi, Don. Hey, Don. Um, two, two comments. One's to the point of your conversation this morning about abortion. If the Democrats so so much believe there's, you know, 8,000 genders, uh, how come they didn't write any of the additional genders that they have made up into this law? Mm-hmm. Is my first question. And then my second question is, if the, if global warming is truly is going to be as, as, uh, catastrophic as they say, why would President Obama buy an oceanfront mansion if the oceans are going to rise and take it from them in a matter of 
months, years. Yeah. And I'll listen to your response. Thank you, Don. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Obama buying a home in the Hamptons. Um, I mean, he's preaching and lecturing to the world about the dangers of climate change and to buy an oceanfront house. I guess he feels he can own it for another 30 or 40 years. You know, it's, it's interesting. The climate change alarmist always extend that period of time. You know, um, we're way past the early deadlines. We're, we're right. We just were wrong on the on the time frame. You know, it was we thought it was going to be by 2015, uh, but it's going to be 2025. I mean, we, you know, we talked to the to the climate gods, and they've informed us now it's going to be 2025. I just think it's hocus pocus. You know, one of the questions I didn't get to during the debate, and because um, I kind of moved around, and, and and the flow of the debate leads you to certain uh, questions being more relevant to the way the the debates kind of taking place. I mean, debates are very organic. They feed upon themselves. Um, and I told the media, uh, the television network, they wanted to put the um, the question below the screen. And I told Dave, I said, hey, tell them now that I may not ask these questions in this particular order. I mean, I, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with giving them the questions the day of the debate. I didn't give it to him early because you never know. Um, got leaks all over the place, man. I just don't. I, I'm sorry. That's just <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit more cynical than most. But um, but one of my questions was um, not whether or not you believe in climate change because I think you got to be a moron to not believe in climate change. There are there are shark's teeth in in Chiral. I mean, come on! I mean, climate change is real. <coughs> Excuse me. The point I tried to make and, and the, the issue I wanted to raise is how much do you as a Republican believe that human activity contributes to the climate? Um, I think it's minimal. Do I believe the CO2 we emit has some effect on the, the, the planet? Yes. I mean, to some degree it does. Um, but but I, I just think it's so minimal. It's unbelievable. And, you know, we can all drive electric cars. And if that's the, um, the most efficient and economically feasible way uh, for the transportation in America to take place, then so be it. I mean, I'm cool with that. I'm always for innovation and entrepreneurship, um, despite the Democrats trying to squelch you know, by, by regulating and taxing and and uh, and basically keeping the heavy hand of government in control of these things. Um, let the market pick the winners and losers. If if electric cars are the way we need to go in the future, let the market dictate that. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to me. Well, maybe it does. Elon Musk is a rocket scientist uh, to figure out that, you know, if we can stop burning fuel that derives itself from uh, oil that, that comes from people who hate our guts, then our economy and long-term standing will probably be more prosperous and beneficial to most of us if that's the case. Now, I, I think we're, we're silly to believe we have the capacity in our electric grid. Uh, we, we don't have the infrastructure in place. Uh, that's going to be a, kind of a generational shift. Um, I believe there will probably be more electric cars on the road next year than there are this year. There will probably be more on the road by 2030 than there are in 2023. But to believe we're going to completely um, rid ourselves of any CO2 emitted by fossil fuel burning power in the economy, that's just a silly proposition. I mean, it's really a silly proposition. It's similar to the abortion stance, but it's not life or death. You know, a power in the economy is important, critically important, but it's not life or death. So when you listen to their stance on abortion, to me it's evil and godless because it's dealing with human life. And the beginning and the and the killing and taking in uh, of innocent human life. When you get to climate change, I think it's equally as uh, silly 
and dangerous. I just don't think we're dealing with human life and innocent. Well, really, the, the key word there is innocent human life. There's a difference, in my opinion, in human life and innocent human life. Uh, that baby has no control. That embryo, that zygote, at whatever time you believe that viability begins, that baby is completely and totally helpless. You know, the day I grew up, and, and, I, and I'll say that the, the moment in time that I remember I became a mature adult, what was the time that I put my baby son, uh, he's 30, he'll be 32 now, um, when I sat him in, in, our, in our home, and one of these little, you know how the, uh, you take a, was it a bassinet or a, it's not a bassinet, what am I trying to say here? One of these baby carriers. In other words, when you, when you bring the baby home from the hospital and you sit it down, and I just looked and I said, that, that baby depends totally on me. I mean, there, there's nothing mm-hmm. about he. There's no way. I mean, he's not a um a wild animal. He can't go out and make it for himself. I mean, every everything that he needs to sustain him and and you know and and keep him alive will derive from me and his mom. And that's the second in moment in time that I said, okay, you got to stop thinking about your damn self so much. I mean, there, there's something else out there that needs you uh m- more than more than anything in this world. And that was really the moment in time that I remember saying. Uh, you know, I got, kind of got to grow up a little bit and, and, and stop spending the beer money as the baby food and baby formula money instead of going to the ball games and having big times and all these other. And I would imagine many, many men relate to that story. Um, the selfish nature of humanity collides with becoming a father or a mother for that example. And I think mothers are nurturers. Uh, I think mothers are hardwired to be nurturers, so it's much easier for them to give up their ways and their lives than it is for men. I think men... I don't want to say we're more selfish, but we're more um, driven by our wishes, our wants, our desires. Um, but but I'll go back to climate change because I think this is an important question. How much does human activity contribute to that house falling off into the ocean uh, yesterday or the day before uh, in the Outer Banks of North Carolina? And that, that's the only debate to be had. We don't need to debate whether or not the climate is changing. We all are aware that the climate changes. I check the weather in Pauly's Island uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every week. It's always different. The forecast for Saturday on Monday is different than the forecast for Saturday on Wednesday. It's almost like on Monday, I hope it does say there's a big chance of rain because by the time the models change, there'll be less of a chance of rain that's the, the climate reality. It always changes. It always has changed. It always will change. The only question on the table is how much we human beings and our activities and the pursuit of capitalism and commerce and economic transaction is affecting or influencing that climate. And we're not having a serious debate about that. Because once again, I don't want to say abortion is a religion, but it kind of is. Climate change in the Democrat Party has become a religion. You worship at the altar of, and there is no compromise. There is no alternative view. There is no um, discussion or debate to be had. We have bought hook, line, and sinker that the climate is changing, and we're the reason, and if we don't make these monumental adjustments and corrections, the planet will cease to exist. That is a crazy and bizarre and insane and ridiculous argument to make. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. couple of minutes before we get out of here. Don't want to mention, uh, it was interesting last night, and I don't think this is right. I mean, this will be my um, Andy Rooney moment when you complain about whatever's going on in the world. So we know that um, 
we know that Barnett, Kathy Barnett, is making a move in Pennsylvania. Uh, for a long time, it was thought that it was a contest between the Trump-endorsed Dr. Oz and the establishment candidate uh, McCormick. David McCormick, I think, is his first name. Um, he of Goldman Sachs fame. Where's the sweater vest? I uh, went to Princeton, went to West Point. I went to West Point, then Princeton. Obviously, we got a doctorate at uh, Princeton. Uh, worked at Goldman Sachs, was a sweater vest. I uh, worked for the Tr- Bush administration. I mean, all the checks and all the boxes that you don't want right now if you're a Republican <laughs> yeah. uh, candidate running for office. But but Miss Barnett made a, uh, for whatever reason, and I, I think I've got a theory. I think it was fun to talk about voting for Dr. Oz. And I think we get closer and closer to the election. And some Pennsylvania voters, Republican voters said, I don't know, man. I mean, he might have, might, may or may not have voted in the Turkish election. I mean, he's, he's a Muslim. Uh, just a lot of things that Republicans are apprehensive about. Um, but you knew you weren't going to McCormick. I mean, if you've got to hold your breath and vote for Oz or hold your nose and vote for Oz, you'll hold your nose and vote for Oz. You're not voting for an establishment Republican. And Barnett became, became kind of the exit ramp. You know, the, okay, this is good enough. I can deal with this. Now, last night, and this is where I think it's inappropriate, Hannity has endorsed Oz. And we think Hannity had something to do with Trump endorsing Oz. We think Hannity called in a favor and said, look, Donald, I mean, we've carried a lot of water for you on the television and radio. Um, we need this one favor. I've known Oz a long time. Um, I think he'd do a good job. He's a smart man. He's a, a reputable man, a novice at politics. But who isn't in these days? And um, people will probably embrace that. So Trump endorses Oz. Um, but last night, Hannity went after Barnett. Uh, brought up some old tweets that she said things or where she said things that weren't very complimentary nor pres- or positive about President Trump. And I, I don't know. I just think, you know, do your job. I mean, you got the endorsement. You, you convinced Trump to endorse. Um, don't go after a fellow Republican. I just, I just, I don't like that. It seems to me uh, to be a bit inappropriate. Hannity has a dog in this fight. I mean, he's endorsed Oz. He has convinced the president to endorse Oz. And it seems now that Barnett may be mounting a challenge against Oz. And Hannity just basically pulls up some things she tweeted back in 2014, 15, and 16 uh, that, that paint her in a negative light with a Trump orbit in the Trump world. I, I just think that's, that's not serving America first well. I think we can't divide. We're not powerful enough to be divided. I mean, our enemy needs to be McCormick. I mean, if it's Barnett, it's Barnett. If it's Oz, it's Oz. But it can't be McCormick. I mean, that that needs to be what we concentrate on. And I think when you start pitting Oz supporters against Barnett supporters, you're making it better for McCormick. And, I mean, I don't know how much sway Hannity has. He has a big audience. has millions and millions on the radio and a couple of million on television. So he moves the meter without question. And I'm not saying that uh, Hannity's endorsement, you know, convinces people in Pennsylvania to vote for candidate X, Y, or Z, but he's got a forum. He's got a voice. And I think endorsing Oz, convincing the president to endorse Oz is enough. Let, let the Republicans decide. Let the Republican voters in Pennsylvania now decide who they want as their next nominee and potentially uh, their next senator. So there. I mean, I, I just think there's a way to abuse the authority and medium that you have. I think Hannity did that. Take a break. Back in a minute. 